Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 34. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanksgiving is now only a week away, and there is much to be thankful about, but there's also much to be angry about. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I know that members of this committee frequently frame these complicated issues in the form of a simple question. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. Mr. Giuliani conveyed to Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volcker, and others that President Trump wanted a public statement from President Zelensky committing to investigations of Burisma and the 2016 election. Mr. Giuliani expressed those requests directly to the Ukrainians, and Mr. Giuliani also expressed those requests directly to us. We all understood that these prerequisites for the White House call and the right White House meeting reflected President Trump's desires and requirements. Everyone was in the loop. There it is. There it is. That's the U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, testifying that the phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky was conditioned on a public statement by Zelensky about investigations into Joe Biden and the 2016 election. Yes, there was a quid pro quo. That's what Sondland said. And now, the whole world is in the loop. And the impeachment proceeding just slammed into Donald Trump like a Deontay Wilder haymaker punch. And in my view, just like Tyson Fury in his epic fight against Wilder, Trump is going down. But unlike Tyson Fury, he's not getting back up. He's hurt. He's hurt bad. Trump's cut. He's cut bad. He's stumbling. His fans are shaking. His knees are wobbly. He even went to Walter Reed Hospital this weekend for what he says was a routine checkup. I'm sure we'll find out real soon if that's the truth. But we know one thing for sure. Trump was cut politically in a massive way this week. And he's in pain. But that's no reason to celebrate. This is a dark time in America and a precarious time. And it's not just our president's political future that's threatened. It's America's. A wounded president, one surrounded by problems and increasingly in pain. That's a dangerous thing for America. The world sees it and our adversaries see it. And once again, and especially now, our enemies see it and our enemies are celebrating. But like anyone in pain, how Trump will respond is hard to predict. But so far, it's been ugly. And his pain, rather than being internalized and absorbed, is spewing all across America. 
onto his enemies, onto his allies, and onto anyone in his wake. And that's not just dangerous for the Trump presidency. It's dangerous for America. Yes, it's time to be angry about what he's allegedly done and what we've all seen him do and likely about all the things we haven't yet seen but will come to light in the days and years to come. We have a right to be angry. But more than ever, we have to be more than just angry. We have to be vigilant. We have to be united. And we got to be smart. We don't have time to whine. We don't have time to complain. Even when you're in pain, you have to focus on the mission. Son of a bitch is dug in like an Alabama tick. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. America ain't got time to bleed. Despite the pain, we got to stay focused on the bigger picture and focused on the future. Last week, the impeachment war began, and now it's pouring into the streets nationwide, blasting holes and dropping bombs all across our media and our culture. And that war is creating casualties more and more by the day. Now, some on the battlefield deserve the hits. Some don't. And just like in any other kind of war, there'll be no real winner. The carnage will be devastating. The impacts unpredictable and the damage lasting. When the shooting finally stops, there'll be a wrecked landscape left for the survivors to pick up the pieces and try to move forward. And there will be loss. And there will be pain. Lots of it. No matter what side you stand on, or if you're just caught in the middle, there's going to be pain, and pain especially on the fabric of our nation, and pain injected into our body politic like a nasty dose of heroin or a bad batch of meth. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. Or a full bottle of Oxy. Impeachment has the potential to be the opioid epidemic of our politics for the next year or more. Children will be lost, futures will be robbed, heroes may emerge, but the devastation will be severe and the pain will be too. Stay frosty, that's what the preacher man said. Stay frosty, his words still bracket in my head. Can't control your future, can't control your friends in a world without end. Stay frosty. Hey, it's time to stay frosty, America. It's painful right now for everyone, and pain is what our guest in this episode knows better than anyone. This episode, we interrupt the drama and agony of the impeachment hearings for a conversation with the frostiest, the most inspiring person I know, and the toughest. And I know some pretty tough people. Aaron Mankin grew up in the Ozarks in Arkansas. When he was a kid, people said he'd either be a preacher or a politician. But instead, he decided to be a Marine. On May 11th, 2005 in Iraq, the 26-ton amphibious assault vehicle Aaron was riding in rolled over an improvised explosive device and blew up. It was propelled 10 feet into the air. Four Marines died and 11 others were injured. And Aaron Mankin was seriously wounded when his body caught on fire. Mankin suffered intense burns over 25% of his body. His ears, nose, and mouth were essentially gone, and he lost two fingers on his right hand. In addition, he had serious damage to his throat, 
and lungs from the smoke inhalation. You can hear it in his voice today. You won't be able to see his scars, but you'll hear him. Aaron Mankin has endured the unimaginable, including debating someone very interesting in high school. More on that later. But Aaron has endured the pain. He's harnessed the pain, and he's emerged stronger at the broken places. He's a true hero, and he's funny as hell, and has an unforgettable Playboy Mansion story. It's not what you might expect. But this is my single favorite Angry Americans conversation yet. It's a perfect pre-Thanksgiving appetizer of heartwarming inspiration. It'll leave you thankful, motivated, and forever changed. And it's one you can share with your family and friends as the holidays approach. But before we get to Corporal Aaron Mankin, with impeachment engulfing our country right now, like the fire that engulfed Aaron's body in Iraq, and with another Democratic debate, and with the political world spinning violently like a tornado of hurt, and the 2020 election barreling toward us, there are some important issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. Issues you need to know about. And that starts with impeachment. Hopefully, you listened to me after the last episode and you've been eating your oatmeal. Hopefully, you've been watching your C-SPAN. It's not fun, but it's important. And if you've been watching, it's been painful. Pain without love, pain. I can't get enough pain. Like it rough, cause I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all. It's been brutal, open warfare. Republican versus Democrat, lawyer versus lawyer, American versus American. And Congressman Devin Nunez is the lead Republican attack dog. He's a former dairy farmer and chair of the House Intelligence Committee, and maybe the most annoying person in America right now. And he's up against Congressman Adam Schiff, also from California, a former United States attorney and the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. Schiff has snatched a mantle from Congressman Eric Swalwell as the most frequent person you're likely to see on MSNBC, not named Rachel Maddow. The Nunez strategy is to distract, deflect, and confuse. That's how he's quarterbacking for Trump. It's a strategy, but it's not a winning one. Schiff is not exactly the strongest QB in the game either, but he looks like Russell Wilson compared to Nunez. Nunez is like a fragile, dumb, running quarterback with no arm, who makes bad throws and fumbles a lot. Adam Schiff doesn't even have to be Russell Wilson. He just has to be Jeff Hostetler. Hand the ball off without fumbling, don't throw interceptions, make third down throws, and manage the clock. And that's what he's been doing. And especially after this week, Schiff's winning. But in the end, we're all losing. And Trump, he seems to be losing. If you're explaining... You're losing. And he might be losing his mind. I just noticed one thing, and I would say that means it's all over. What do you want from Ukraine? He asks me, screaming. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories. This is Ambassador Sondland speaking to me. Just happened. To which I turned off the television. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories. 
What do you want? What do you want? It was a very short and abrupt conversation that he had with me. They said he was not in a good mood. I'm always in a good mood. I don't know what that is. He just said, now he's talking about what my response. So he's going, what do you want? What do you want? I hear all these theories. What do you want? Right? And now, here's my response that he gave. Just gave. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? I want nothing. That's what I want from Ukraine. That's what I said. I want nothing. I said it twice. So he goes, he asked me the question, what do you want? I keep hearing all these things. What do you want? He finally gets me. I don't know him very well. I have not spoken to him much. This is not a man I know well. Seems like a nice guy, though. But I don't know him well. He was with other candidates. He actually supported other candidates. Not me. Came in late. But here's my response. Now, if you weren't fake news, you'd cover it properly. I say to the ambassador in response, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky, President Zelensky, to do the right thing. So here's my answer. I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. He thinks it's over. It's definitely not over. And that, that's painful just to listen to. And this week, we took even more pain as we watched a small piece of our political soul die. As Nunez, the president, and many in the Republican Party did the unthinkable. They attacked a decorated active duty army officer. They attacked his patriotism. They attacked his loyalty. You know who I'm talking about. The courageous Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who immigrated here as a child with his twin brother and went on to serve in the army. I've covered his heroism, his service, and his inspiring story in the last few weeks on this pod, so you know the deal. But this week, they came after him. And Vindman's been attacked before. He's been wounded before. He has a purple heart to prove it. And he was a shining light of hope, a conscience in America this week. And I've said it before, if America was a religion, our military and veterans would be like the clergy, the keepers of the flame. And Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, he stepped up to the magnitude of the moment this week to remind us all what it's all about. Here he is answering questions from Democratic Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney. You realize when you came forward out of sense of duty that you were putting yourself in direct opposition to the most powerful person in the world. Do you realize that, sir? I knew I was assuming a lot of risk. And I'm struck by that word, don't worry, that phrase, do not worry, you addressed to your dad. Was your dad a warrior? Uh, he did serve. It was a different military, though. And he would have worried if you were putting yourself up against the President of the United States. Is that right? He deeply worried about it because in his context, there was... There was the ultimate risk. And why do you have confidence that you can do that and tell your dad not to worry? Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I've served and defended, uh, that all of my brothers have served, and here, right matters. Thank you, sir. Yield back. This is America. Yes. Here. Right still does matter. It does. 
and so does courtesy. So Vindman also took a second to set Chairman Nunez straight on one additional thing. Mr. Vindman, you testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. Uh, Ranking member, it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, please. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Nunez has been feeling pain all week, and he's feeling the pain of a sick burn after that one. It gave us all a sense of pride to see Vindman up there, to see him telling the truth, to see him punching back, to see him guarding the integrity of not just himself, but of our country, no matter what happened. I've told you before, look for the helpers. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was a helper, a helper for our democracy. And we'll need more and more courageous leaders like him in the days ahead. Tonight, former Army Lieutenant Clint Lawrence reunited with his family after six years in military prison. Hey, I want to say thank you, President Trump. The White House released the emotional video after President Trump granted Lawrence a full pardon. He was serving a 19-year sentence for murdering two Afghan civilians while he was deployed there in 2012. The president also clearing two others. According to the Washington Post and New York Times, the moves are controversial, defying the wishes of senior military leaders who argue the pardons undermine the military code of justice. But in a statement, the Pentagon says the president has the authority to weigh in on matters of this nature. And we addressed this back in Memorial Day when it was first reported that Trump might pardon war criminals. And now we have to address it again. Pardoning accused or convicted war criminals is bad. So bad. Apparently that needs explaining to Donald Trump. It's bad for our troops. It's bad for America. It's bad for everyone. It was a disgusting Friday night news bump that wrecked my weekend and America's future. Clint Lawrence, the army lieutenant who Trump just pardoned. Let's dig deeper on that case just for a second. Nine members of his platoon testified against him at his trial. Together, they described a man who arrived in Afghanistan determined to get his hands bloody. Not a single soldier from his platoon testified on his behalf. That's like 38 guys. Mac Gallagher is a writer, a veteran, an incredible voice. And he wrote, many smart people have said a lot of smart things about the pardons. Just want to echo the vast majority of post 9-11 service members went abroad to insanely ambiguous wars and maintain their honor. Normalizing war crimes like this is a disservice to everyone who held that line. He's right. And that was echoed by Andrew Exum, another outstanding foreign policy and military defense leader and a veteran himself. Exum wrote, This is a sad day for tens of thousands of us who led troops in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan who were proud of the way in which we maintained our good order and discipline in the face of many challenges. These men, now pardoned, remain a disgrace to our ranks. Scott Stanford, another decorated veteran, thoughtful guy, and a battle buddy of mine wrote, next, we'll be bombing hospitals and shooting down passenger airlines. We're more like our new friends in Russia every day. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, candidate for president, and a veteran himself wrote, there's nothing pro-military about overruling our military justice system to prevent it from delivering accountability for war crimes. The president has again dishonored our armed services. Now, Trump may be willing to forgive these guys, but the military's not, and the Navy SEALs are not. 
The New York Times is reporting that the Navy wants to eject from the SEALs one of the sailors cleared by Trump. Chief Petty Officer Edward Gallagher is expected to be formally notified of the action this week. He's expected to be notified that the Navy is going to kick him out of the SEALs. Navy officials are planning to take away Chief Gallagher's trident pin. That's a symbol of his membership in the SEALs. This move is a big deal, and it would put the Navy SEAL commander, Rear Admiral Colin Green, in direct conflict with Trump, who last week cleared the sailor. Military leaders have opposed the action, as well as Trump's pardon of the two other soldiers involved in the murder case. Now just wait. Very soon, partisan hacks and political attack dogs will attack the commander of the SEALs for this. It's open war in America right now, and it will get worse. And yet again, Donald Trump has thrust our military deep into the middle of it. So pardons by Donald Trump for crimes is the kind of short-sighted political move that chips away at the country's generally positive view of our military. If troops are above the law, it makes them that much more different from civilians, more misunderstood and more feared. So a few weeks ago, Trump abandoned our Kurdish allies. He abandoned our friends, abandoned our good word as Americans. Now, He's abandoned our good name, our respect, our integrity. It's painful. And it's not the only area of America that's in pain right now because Americans are continuing to face hurt in another devastatingly important and personal way. Another American community is feeling unimaginable pain right now. Another one. Because there's been another shooting at Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, California. That's just outside LA and resulted in the deaths of three students including the shooter, by self-inflicted wounds. He injured three more. And this is what it was like for one very brave girl inside. I texted my dad and I told him that I love him and that if anything were to happen, that I love him and everyone. And I just made sure that the kids around me were, were like, were being safe and that they were calm. I would say that... I'm blessed that I'm here right now, and I'm blessed that everyone who made it out safely is still alive. And I pray for the families who might have lost their kid or children. And right now, I'm just grateful, and I pray that my brother is also safe. Another painful shooting at another school. The 16-year-old shooter killed Grace Ann Muehlberger, 15, and Dominic Blackwell, 14. The shooter committed this heinous act on his own 16th birthday. Our children are now conditioned to prepare and even expect to be shot and killed in the places they go to learn. It's awful. It's an abomination. Last year, my little boy was three years old and his school had to teach him and his classmates the magnet game in case of an active shooter. When I got this email, I cried. It's the world we live in and we owe it to make them better. But this is what it said. We'd like to inform you that we had our first lockdown drill today. However, please note that we referred to it as the magnet game. Effective this year by law, all New York schools are required to carry out four lockdown drills throughout the academic year. Drills like these are important because they are intended to ensure that in a true emergency, our children and our teachers are prepared to take action. We, however... Recognize that our children are young. We're trying to be mindful of scaffolding the skills needed to successfully complete this drill and understand the nature of the drill. 
The goal for today was for the children to recognize that the lockdown alarm is different from the fire one. We also wanted children to practice staying close to teachers like magnets and listening to teachers' directions. The eldest children evacuated the school during the drill and convened at a magnet tree outside. Our youngest, the toddlers, went into the little bathroom with their teachers who then locked the door behind them. This is the magnet game. They have to teach my three-year-old something called the magnet game in case a shooter comes in to slaughter him and his classmates. It pains me to read that. But too often, as parents, we think about our pain. But the pain our kids are experiencing and the stress of growing up in a country that's like this is now, for me, almost beyond words. If you're not angry about this, you're not paying attention. Amber was a student at the school in California. She was there, and she's angry. I'm very angry. I'm so disappointed. There have been many threats to our school. It's happened my freshman year. I hid in a closet for 45 minutes with my best friend who's standing next to me. Um, and this is the second time we've had to go through something like this. And I'm, I cannot believe how many shootings there's been and how many kids have to die for us to realize that this is such a problem. And especially in the world we live in now in, in Trump's America, it's ridiculous and I'm so angry. And she has a right to be angry. Our children have a right to be angry. If there was ever an issue that captures the spirit and the urgency of this show, it's school shootings. And also capturing the spirit of the show is how people respond when things get bad. Because every time there's a tragedy, they are heroes who step up to respond. I say look for the helpers. At Saugus High School, it was the choir teacher. The choir teacher is being hailed as a hero after she treated one of the wounded students in the aftermath. Caitlin Holt said many students ran into her classroom when the shooting started, and she jumped into action. I think she was just hanging out outside my room yeah. where everything happened, and they all ran into my classroom. Many students who aren't in my choir necessarily ran into the class, and she was one of those students. Yeah. So I met her for the first time today, actually. So how are you feeling right now? I know this is all a shock right now. Did you all train for this? Um, um, you can never train for this mentally. Yeah. Tell me how you're feeling. Um, I don't think I have an organization for my feelings or thoughts right now. I'm mostly just hoping that student is okay. I've never experienced such um, a strong fight or flight situation. Um, I'm not typically a calm person, but in that situation for my students, I think that kind of kicks in. Um, I think that... Um, yeah, I, it's hard to really organize how exactly I'm feeling. Just very overwhelmed and in a lot of shock at the moment. And not to be too graphic, you were co covering bullet, bullet wounds, is that correct? Or covering wounds? Yeah, two gunshot wounds. And where were they at? Yeah, her her side here and her shoulder up here. The and um, and she was she was really strong. She was really great. She was joking with me. She was like, I'm gonna be homeschooled after this. <laughs> um, so she she was doing. She was doing well, as, as much as I could say. There was also a shooting this week at a Walmart, this time in Duncan, Oklahoma. Three people died when a man shot his wife and her boyfriend before killing himself. You probably didn't even hear about that one. I'll cover these shootings because we can't turn away. No matter what happens in the impeachment hearings, attention must be paid to the other urgent issues that are happening, and especially to these shootings. Our enemies don't have to kill American people. We're killing our own, inflicting pain on each other 
and on our communities and on our children daily. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. Go back and listen to J.T. Lewis in episode 19 of this show. J.T. Lewis is the 19-year-old brother of Jesse Lewis. And J.T. knows more about mass shootings than just about anyone in America. He's the brother of Jesse Lewis, a seven-year-old hero who is one of 12 children and six adults murdered at the Sandy Hook Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut. If you listen to that episode, the update is J.T.'s campaign for Senate is ongoing. And so is his push to have his brother's incredible heroism recognized with the Medal of Freedom, our nation's highest civilian award, something that I think is warranted. JT proposed the idea to Vice President Pence and has met with Trump. He says the White House is considering it. And I want to keep the focus on it because attention must be paid. Kids like Jesse Lewis are the casualties of America's distraction, America's division, America's failures our failures. Action must be taken, and at a minimum, attention must be paid. The same is true of our casualties overseas. While everyone was swept up in impeachment, there were two more this week. Two American service members were killed Wednesday when their helicopter crashed in eastern Afghanistan. The military said the fatalities brought to 19 the number of U.S. combat deaths in Afghanistan this year, adding that the crash is under investigation. James Laporta, our guest from episode 31, the Marine and investigative reporter from Newsweek, was one of the first to report on this. Follow him for the latest. And go back and listen to that pod if you haven't already for some insight into what it's like to report on this kind of painful news. It's painful, but it's important. So 19 service members have been killed this year by hostile forces, surpassing the total of 13 killed in 2018. More than 2,400 U.S. troops have died in the war since 2001. Now, over the past year, the U.S. has been reducing its troop strength, cutting 2,000 troops. But still, the total number of American troops in Afghanistan is about 13,000. Those are 13,000 men and women who will spend Thanksgiving away from their families. 13,000 homes that will have a seat empty this month at their Thanksgiving table. 13,000 families that will spend Christmas or Hanukkah hoping they get a chance to Skype with their family member, knowing they won't be home to open their gifts, hug their kids, or have a beer. And when they come home, if they're injured, they also won't be able to have access to pain relief from cannabis. Now, medical cannabis has been shown to help in the treatment of PTSD and other injuries and forms of pain. However, veterans in America are still often denied access to it. And Joe Biden's not helping. He supports medical marijuana, which is good, but he still opposes legalizing it entirely. And he's using some really annoying old guy language to explain why. Let me tell you, the truth of the matter is there's not nearly been enough evidence that has been uh, 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 acquired as to whether or not it is a gateway drug. It's, It's a debate. And I want a lot more, before I legalize it nationally, I want to make sure we know a lot more about the science behind it. Oh, no, Joe. Now you're really sounding old and out of touch. And given your age, you might need some pain relief, man. You might want to reconsider that position. It might help you deal with your pain. 
And there's another person we need to talk about this week who's about to be in a whole new world of pain. Roger Stone. Roger Stone is going to prison. And it's going to hurt bad. Roger Stone was found guilty of lying to protect Trump. Guilty on all seven counts. He's the political operative and Trump buddy who was found guilty of all seven counts brought down by the Justice Department. And this is a major win for the special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. Stone was found guilty on five counts of lying to Congress, one of witness tampering, and one of obstructing a congressional committee proceeding. He lied to Congress about his communications with Trump campaign officials. A jury unanimously decided it. Now, Stone potentially faces prison time, and his sentence is going to be entirely up to the judge. For the most serious of his crime, witness tampering, he faces a maximum sentence of 20 years. Now, at least this entire process is a giant teachable moment. Don't lie, kids. Don't put yourself ahead of your fellow Americans. Don't think you're above the law. Don't sell out your country. Don't be Roger Stone, or you'll face some serious pain. Now, there's another source of pain for all of us the 2020 election. And like Rocky, enduring the pain of training in Siberia, lifting weights in a barn, and running up a mountain in the snow, it hurts. And so does running for president. And so does watching it. So who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down? It's hard to keep track. But here are the top lines. There was another debate in Atlanta. Ten Democratic presidential candidates faced off for the fifth primary debate. And here's the bottom line. That was painful, too. If you missed it, here's the summary. The Democrats spent too much time attacking each other, not enough time attacking Trump. There were too many of them on stage, and it probably won't dramatically impact the election. But after a week of impeachment hearings, it actually felt entertaining. Especially Andrew Yang, who continues to be entertaining and just a good thing for America. Mr. Yang, if you win the 2020 election, what would you say in your first call with Russian President Vladimir Putin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I'd say I'm sorry I beat your guy. (laughs) He's definitely by far the funniest candidate. and We all need a little more funny from the candidates right now. Now, Rachel Maddow was one of the moderators, and she's been one of our guests. If you haven't already heard it, go back and listen to episode six. It's one of the most candid and laid-back interviews you'll ever hear with her. We've been friends a long time now, and she talked candidly with me back in May about what it's like to interview the 2020 candidates. She also talked about her first car, her expertise in mixology, and whether or not she'll ever run for elected office. And I asked her what it's like. Well, it's it's interesting in the 2020 context because, I mean, we have, what, 21 declared candidates now, maybe yeah. 22 as yeah. of today. Yeah. Um, and I do want the chance to talk to everybody. And I do, I am super interested in this moment at how the largest major party field in history is going to produce 
what needs to be the strongest Democratic candidate, you know, depending on how serious you see the stakes of this election, maybe the strongest Democratic candidate ever, the candidate who has the best chance of beating a super non-traditional, super powerful candidate on the Republican side. I don't know how that's going to go. I'm really interested in the process. I'm really interested in the characters. And I'm not that confident in my interview capacity. I mean, you know what my show is like on a night when I don't have a big interview, right? I do like a 23 freaking minute monologue with no guest and then bring on reporters to help me understand other stuff I'm explaining. You know, it's not like it's, it's, it's not people driven. Mm. <laughs> and so spending time, spending two or three segments with Kamala Harris or, or Beto O'Rourke or, you know, Steve Bullock or any of these people or whatever is, I feel like it's outside my wheelhouse in terms of what I'm good at, but I also desperately want to understand these candidates and see what they have to offer and understand how this process is going to go. Now, if Maddow ran for president in the Democratic Party, she might be ahead of all the candidates you saw on stage. But one person who isn't likely to be ahead of the candidates, Mike Bloomberg. He hasn't formally declared, but it's looking like he will soon, especially since he's apologizing for stop and frisk. And this is probably his most controversial initiative as mayor of New York and definitely a policy that is unpopular in the Democratic Party. Under the policy, hundreds of thousands of people were stopped and searched by police without warrants, with the city's black and Latino population disproportionately targeted, and the vast majority released without arrest. And now, since he's going to be a Democrat, Bloomberg is apologizing for it. I got something important wrong. I got something important really wrong. I didn't understand that back then, the full impact that stops were having on the black and Latino communities. I was totally focused on saving lives, but as we know, good intentions aren't good enough. Now, his candidacy is an indication that many see an opening for moderates, for someone not as far left as Elizabeth Warren and not as far right as Trump. Now, I've long believed there was an opening, and as an independent myself, I feel it. We've talked about it at length on this show, but is it too late? I think it might be, even for someone with the money of Bloomberg. But if billionaire Tom Steyer can buy his way onto the debate stage, maybe Bloomberg can too. But Bloomberg is not yet officially in. But Deval Patrick is. The former governor of Massachusetts has now jumped in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deval Patrick. I used to be governor of Massachusetts, but that's not where I started. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I lived there with my grandparents, my mother and sister in our grandparents' two-bedroom tenement, some of that time on welfare. I went to big, broken, overcrowded public schools. And still, my grandmother used to tell us we were not poor, just broke. Because broke, she said, is temporary. Through the love and support of family, great teachers, adults in the neighborhood and in church, I learned to look up, not down, to hope for the best and work for it. Well. He's going to have to work for it. Now, he has a positive message, which I appreciate. And he has a more moderate approach, which I also appreciate. But it's also awfully late. Now, he may just be playing for a cabinet seat or a spot in the Supreme Court or a VP nod or better visibility for a later run in 2024. Or he could just be dropping out quickly like so many others, like one more did this week. Yep. Another candidate for president has dropped out. Wayne Messam is out. Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida, announced that he has suspended his campaign 
for the Democratic nomination for president. You probably didn't hear that. You probably didn't even hear he was running. Well, he was. In October, this is interesting, he reported raising just $5 in the third fiscal quarter. Now, it was an error that his campaign corrected, but in an amended report to the FEC, he said he had actually raised 15000 lagging the next lowest fundraiser by more than $300,000. He rarely registered 1% in the polls and didn't qualify for any of the debates. But he was the only candidate with a college football national championship ring. He was a wide receiver on the 1993 Florida State Championship team. Nowadays, Florida State's a long way from a national championship, sitting at a paltry 6-5 and five overall. Now, it's painful nowadays to be a Florida State fan, almost as painful as being a Miami Dolphins fan. Clemson now dominates the ACC Atlantic and is again undefeated. They're the new face of the ACC. And maybe Florida State is a team of the past. So maybe Florida State is like Joe Biden and maybe Mayor Pete is like Clemson because Mayor Pete is continuing to surge. A New Hampshire poll is good news for Mayor Pete. He's up 10 points in New Hampshire. Buttigieg is at 25%. Biden is at 15. Warren is at 15. Sanders at 9. Klobuchar at 6. And Booker, Gabbard, and Steyer at 3%. Yang at 2. And Harris at 1. Now, this is why I take polls with a grain of salt. The St. Anselm College Survey Center poll was of 255 likely Democratic Party voters. 255. That's it. Now, New Hampshire is small. But not that small. The St. Anselm pollsters could try a little bit harder than 255 people. But the candidates are trying harder now, too. The pain is piling up. If they don't raise money, get the press, and rank in the polls, they're going to be gone faster than Rudy Giuliani at a cell phone security convention. And in case you're wondering, no, Rudy Giuliani has not butt-dialed me lately. But my invitation does stand to him, and to all presidential candidates, and of course to President Trump, to be my guest on this show. Trump is welcome to call me from Russia, a jail cell, the Isle of Melba, or anywhere he might be in the future. With the candidates, it's one down with Tulsi Gabbard, who joined us a few weeks ago. And that continues to be one of our most popular episodes. Tulsi Gabbard continues to be in line of fire, and she was again in this most recent debate. So it's one candidate down for angry Americans, many to go. But as I shared last week, They have been responding, and we're going to have some big news after Thanksgiving. But Angry Americans is growing in popularity and in power. We had our biggest week ever last week. At one point, we popped to number five in the political podcast in America. We're also apparently number 112 in Norway. We're number 85 in Singapore and number 72 in Finland. What's up, Finland? That's fascinating because the latest UN report stated that Finland is now the happiest country in the world. Number one, Nordic countries are always at the top, but Finland made a big climb this year from number five to number one. So people in Finland are happy, but apparently they're also a little bit angry. They're listening to this podcast. Maybe we'll take the show there. In fact, did you know there are more heavy metal bands per capita in Finland than anywhere else in the world? And Finland was also the first country in Europe to give all women the right to vote in 1906. And did you know there are more saunas than cars in Finland? But yes, there are more saunas than cars. Even Burger King in Helsinki has a sauna. And since Frozen 2 is coming out this week, and if you have a young child, you definitely know about that. 
it might be the perfect time for us to take this show to Finland. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back so stay tuned. Whether you're in Houston, Hamburg, or Helsinki, be sure to join our newsletter at Angry Americans to find out first. We will be going on tour, and it will help ease your pain, even if Joe Biden doesn't want to. But outside of the spotlight, something else happened this week that has me angry, has others angry, and should have everyone angry. Ford wants to sell you an electric SUV that's called a Mustang, and I hate it even though it was rolled out by Idris Elba. For the first time ever, there is a new Mustang joining the stable. Not just a new model, but an all-new vehicle. Yep, now make some noise. Go for it. Go for it. It's the all-electric Ford Mustang Mark E. It's also an SUV, so it's a new Mustang for a new age. Okay, it's a Mustang but it's an SUV and it's introduced by a British guy, a badass British guy, but a British guy with the new CEO. He's not a car guy. He became the CEO of Ford after a career leading the Michigan based office furniture giant Steelcase, And since then he's consistently confused the auto industry analysts and insiders. And the stock has also shown it over the years and they had the GM strike. Now, Automakers have been making battery-powered cars largely to meet the environmental rules, but now they're putting more skin in the game. The MSRP on this new so-called Mustang, $59,000. It doesn't look like a Mustang. It looks like an Audi or even a Subaru. So Ford's latest offering seems like an oxymoron twice over. It's a sport utility vehicle that's electric, that's a Mustang. And it's also Detroit's biggest bet yet on a mass market future for battery-powered cars. Ford is hoping that the cachet of the original Mustang is going to rub off on this new model and boost demand for electric cars, which represent just 2% of the market right now. Now, Tesla is dominant here, accounting for almost 80% of nationwide sales of battery-powered cars. And Tesla and its chief executive, Elon Musk, are expected to make big news this week when they unveil their own electric pickup truck. By the way, Elon Musk, welcome on this show anytime. Now, the Mustang, you know the Mustang. 55 years ago, it was introduced. It was introduced at the 1964 World's Fair in New York. It was a sensation. It had the long hood and the short trunk and the sloping roof line to make it look like the car was running forward. Now, the new SUV thing also has a long hood and a sloping roof line, but no trunk. And when the Mustang came out in 1964, it was affordable. It was $2,400, about $20,000 today. And America loved it. They began adding second cars to their driveways, and the Mustang was the one that everybody wanted. In its first full year of production, they sold more than half a million, an astounding number by any recent standards. But check this out. The Mustang is not only turning into an SUV, soon it's going to be the only car that Ford offers. They're in the process of getting rid of sedans like the Taurus, the Fusion, and the Focus. And it looks like they might be trying to target the Chinese market, where over a million electric cars were sold last year. Now, here's a head-scratcher. Although they've been under pressure by Trump and the UAW to bring jobs back to America, Ford is going to assemble the Mustang in Mexico. Now, Ford needs a home run. They invested in Rivian, a startup that makes very cool pickups and SUVs. I saw them and I dig them. And they have a partnership with Volkswagen. 
but Ford's profits have been down. And while the new CEO cut costs, he hasn't turned the company around. So this is it. The stock is down below $9 a share and they've got to hit a home run. And they're doing it by compromising the Mustang. So you want to know what makes me angry? The fact that the Mustang is an SUV. It's not a Mustang. It's not an SUV. It's just terrible. And it makes me angry. Well, whatever this thing is, it's not a Mustang. It's got some cool features. It definitely looks cool. If it wasn't called a Mustang, I'd probably be into it. But it's not a Mustang. You can't make a Mustang an SUV. And you can't make an SUV a Mustang. It's just wrong. And it's got me angry. And I think should have everyone angry. At least there's the Ford versus Ferrari movie coming out this week with Matt Damon and Christian Bale. And that looks very cool. And it's probably going to make more money than the car will. And we need a break in times like this. We need to talk about things like cars and about music and about family. Because in times like this, it feels like Trump and the political vacuum of Washington just keeps taking and taking and taking, adding more and more pain, putting salt in the raw wounds of America. But there is relief out there. That song is an example, and I'm obsessed with it. It's Post Malone with Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott. Now, I'm obsessed with the entire album. Get it now. It's a mashup of two unlikely voices that individually are pretty good at conveying pain. But together, they make a sound that's pretty good at soothing it. And that's part of the lesson of this episode. Pain sucks. There's no dancing around it. But pain can be bearable if it's shared. If you try to hold it, it can eat you alive. But if you share it, you can find out that you're not alone. It can lessen your load. And by sharing it, you give power and hope to others. Now, if you've been in the military, you've heard this line a million times. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Mostly, I think that's some wacky, old-school, hard-ass drill sergeant bullshit. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Pain is probably not weakness leaving the body. but sometimes. Pain is necessary for growth, like when you're working out and tearing down a muscle to build it up, or when you endure childbirth, or when a nation puts white nationalists out in the open to expose them and challenge them, or like when the Me Too movement painfully reveals how far America really has to go. Pain can be traumatic, and pain is inevitable. It's a part of life. In Farewell to Arms, Ernest Hemingway proclaimed that the world eventually breaks everyone, and it kills those it doesn't break. So it doesn't matter how positive you are, or how hard you work, or how lucky you are, pain will find you. It finds all of us, and it breaks us. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. But depending on how you approach it, pain can be a source of tremendous growth. As Hemingway wrote, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, Many are strong at the broken places. Post-traumatic growth, I believe, can be a real thing for a person 
and for a nation. I believe that this painful time in America can, in the end, actually make us stronger if we commit to it and if we have the right leaders to guide us through that pain. Leaders of vision, leaders of integrity, leaders of empathy, leaders of courage, leaders that can be more than just guides through pain, leaders that can be healers, leaders like our guest this episode, because nobody knows pain like Aaron Mankin. Now, I know this episode's been heavy so far. Well, it's been a heavy time. And sometimes you just have to face it. You can't run from it. You can't make light of it. You just have to go through it. And if the first part of this show pulled your heart down a little bit, this next part will make it sore. If you're a parent, Aaron Mankin is the kind of man you hope your children grow up to be like. And he's experienced the kind of pain you pray to God your children will never have to. He's experienced a pain that we can't even fathom. And still, he's positive. He's happy. He's helping others. In the hardest moments, when he was under attack by a roadside bomb, or when he was here at home under attack by pain, infection, and depression, he fought through it. He kept moving forward, and amazingly, he pulled others forward with him. Don't feel bad for Aaron Mankin. He doesn't want that. He wants one thing, your attention. Your attention for him, for what he's endured, and most of all, for what he stands for. Because what he stands for is the best of what this country stands for. It's what Lieutenant Colonel Vindman stands for. It's the best of what you stand for. Wherever you are right now, pay attention. Because Aaron Mankin is about to share with you his story, which is a true gift, just in time for the holidays. This Veterans Month, In this Thanksgiving season, you're about to meet a young man who will give you reason to think, reason to be thankful, and reason to be inspired. Aaron Mankin is a storyteller, but his story is America's story. No matter what kind of damage comes at us, we can survive it, and we can emerge on the other side, stronger at the broken places. And when you finish listening to this conversation, you won't leave it wounded. It might hurt your heart a bit, but more likely, It'll fill your heart up and it'll leave you coming out the other side with some invaluable perspective, perspective that'll make the sun a little brighter, the air a little sweeter, the laugh of a child a little warmer, and maybe, just maybe, bring us all a little bit closer. As holiday season approaches, it's always a good time to take stock and give thanks for what we have and what we've been through. It reminds us that you can come home. If not physically, emotionally. We can get back to our values, back to the best of our history, back to our humanity, back to our goodness. Yeah, there's a lot to be angry about. And we've all experienced pain. But in this episode, we've got an elixir of a guest to make the pain go away by vulnerably, courageously sharing his own pain. When it's tough out there, We can stick together and get through it. We all bond in the suck. But leaders like Aaron Mankin are the ones who take us through it to the other side. He hasn't just experienced pain. He hasn't just suffered pain. He's mastered pain. He's harnessed pain. Aaron Mankin is a walking, talking, surviving, and thriving example of what America can create and what America can endure. Aaron Mankin 
is a teachable moment. And of course, he's bringing the four eyes. He is the four eyes. Aaron Mankin is integrity. Aaron Mankin is information. Aaron Mankin is impact. And Aaron Mankin, damn sure, is inspiration. And Aaron Mankin is reason to be thankful, especially right now. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 34. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans worldwide, we have an incredible guest today. Absolutely incredible. One of the people I have been most looking forward to talking to since I created a show before I even had a show. The great and powerful Aaron Mankin is in the classic car club, New York. Welcome, my friend. Love it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me out here. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, what do you think of this place? Oh, phenomenal. Top shelf. This is, this is beautiful. This is top, beautiful. Yeah. T- top shelf. Yeah. Now, I said you're the great Aaron Mankin. You're also the good Aaron Mankin. No. Really. I mean, you're, you're a good person. And every time I'm around you, I feel happier. I think anyone listening to this, uh, this discussion today is going to feel happier. Um, how do you do that, man? How do you do that? Is it just natural? Were you born that way? Like, I, I got to ask you. I know I'm kicking it off with a tough one. But like, uh, no, I think anyone who's survived adversity has been through something has a unique perspective on not just their life but uh, life in general right and which direction you go and understanding that it is what you make it and the power you have to make one choice over another and uh, and that's where my recovery really started was you know not letting some uh, you know some guy who picked up a shovel and buried a bomb and tried to take my life dictate who I'm going to be for the rest of my life, that's a choice I get to make. So Excellent. Yeah. Well, the choice you also get to make on Angry Americans is what cocktail you prefer. And so uh, tell folks what you've chosen and why. Well, uh, what we have on the menu here is uh, some Blanton's. Right? Blanton's is just beautiful. On the rocks, straight up, you don't want to, you got to enjoy all the all the layers, right? We, uh, I didn't, I, I, was just turned on to it about a year, two years ago. Uh, had some family bring a bottle, super rare, hard to find, get nowhere, and uh, uh, and we polished it off and just had a great time. So. <laughs> you know a little bit about the brown liquor. I mean, you, 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 uh, you, you actually said your drink of choice is Crown, well, you tell folks. Uh, we call it uh, VCR, Vanilla Crown Royal, uh, and Sprite. And it's not, it's, you would never put those two together. I'll tell you, it's magical. It's as dangerous as what it is. It's magical. But, uh, yeah, of course, Marines know a little bit about drinking and, you know, we were founded in a bar. So it's kind of our thing, uh, uh part of that culture. But, uh, you know, when it's becomes, or it's uh, in, in certain places or times, it's patriotic to, to buy me a beer, or get me a drink. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah embrace that. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone who's been given more free drinks in the world, maybe than Aaron make. I think it's a testament <laughs> to your fortitude that you're not a, a complete alcoholic. I mean, I, I honestly, God, like everywhere. Have you paid for a drink in 
10 years? I mean, I, maybe you've insisted on paying for it yourself. I try, I try and pass it on. You know, I, I get people, you know, they'll, they'll want to pick up a check or, or, uh, or buy my meal or, uh, you know, hell, when I was at the Vern unit, you know, I'd have Americans come up and say, I just had a, uh, a, a gastric bypass. I've got all this extra skin. Could you use it? Can I give you the skin off my back? You know, literally. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, whatever they could do and give. And, uh, it's uh, it's been in, uh, incredible to see you know, great Americans just step up and do whatever they can. So I want to get to your story, which I think is now the stuff of legend. But you handed me your business card, <laughs> which is pretty fucking cool. It says Aaron P. Mankin, and on top it says APM. Which is kind of like it looks like B I G A O C. Like you got the three letters in a very strong way with four stars. You're a corporal, but you promoted yourself to four stars, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and it says Advocate Patriot Marine, and I think that that really embodies who you are. And then on the back, it's got the longer uh, explanation. United States Marine Corps combat correspondent, Purple Heart recipient, Congressional Military and Veteran Liaison, UCLA Operation Men Board of Advisors, Sheepdog Impact Assistance Board of Advisors, Keynote, and then maybe what I, what I want to pivot off of, your email that I think you've had for as long as I've known you, which is scars are not forever at something. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them exact, exactly your email, but it's been scars are not forever for as long as, as I've known you. Um, can you talk about that last part and why you picked that and yeah. why it's kind of one of your mantras? That was something I, had, I embraced very early on in my recovery back in 2005. You know, waking up my, and my face was gone. I got my face blown off and didn't look like me and had to deal with a lot. And uh, I'd even, you know, take my arm, I'd raise my arm up, cover my face, and I could see where my eyes and, uh, you know, I have my Wiley X's on, I have my goggles on, so my eyes weren't wounded, and uh, I still kind of looked like myself, or I could see myself again, and uh, uh, had to remind myself that these scars uh, are not forever, and uh, the faith that I had that I would get better, uh, and it's become so much more than that when I meet people, and I share my story, or uh, or, or don't, I just meet someone for the first time, and um, uh, they kind of begin to look past that. They don't. They may see the scars at first, but that's not all they see. There, you know, there's more to it than that. And uh, so, even if you know, in a brief moment in time, we get a chance to connect and share stories, you know, the scars may be what engages or what gets a conversation started. But it's so much more. It's beyond that. So, you know, it may be where we start, but it's not where we end. We move, move on. So, I love that. And, and this is kind of the interesting part about podcasting. Because folks are usually watching you on TV and they see your face and they see your wounds, right? And they see your scars. But on podcast, you can't see them. Now, we're going to have a video online at, at angryamericans.us and you can see me and Aaron running around here uh, drinking brown liquor and driving fancy cars. Um, but but I think your your voice has become so strong over the years, man. And you you and I first met i want to tell this story you remember where we first met i know exactly where we were so maybe right up the street yeah because you, you texted me on the way over here to the car club you said it kind of feels like the first the first day we met and it's not far from where we met and you want to tell a story or you want me to- yeah we were both working some media a veterans day we you know we were uh, on the flight deck at the intrepid doing i think uh, heidi collins show or cnn and uh 
Oh, it was freezing. It was fucking it cold. It was as so hell. cold. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, we're out over the water, so there's no. Uh, and we were just huddled up That's underneath the stairwell, how, how trying to break, just trying to find some cover for the it's, relentless it's a, it's, breeze. A, yeah. it's an old World War II uh, aircraft carrier. Yeah. And we've done a lot of events on together. Uh, and they had set up CNN on the flight deck. Uh, and then Veterans Day is November 11th. Sometimes it's rarely it's beautiful and sunny often it's cold and shitty and this was especially cold this was like frigid wind going and i don't think we had actually been been introduced but we were in this tiny tiny uh, uh, metal stairwell right it feels like a submarine right just two dudes shoved into this little stairwell just shaking trying to get warm (laughs) i was like hey what's your name (laughs) how you doing buddy want to keep me from dying of frostbite yeah and we because we both had the same idea like hey let's tuck in here while we're Standing around and uh, and and you know, finding out, you know, hearing uh, your story and, and and connecting with you and uh, it's just been, yeah, man. That first- you you've risen to become an incredible voice for a lot of people beyond the veterans community. You've transcended it, and I want to talk about your journey and the future um, because I think too often people want to hear what happened to you, and they don't want to hear enough about what you think. And I want to hear today about what you think and what you see, because this show is about the precarious state of our American experiment. And it's about people who have shaped the past, the present and the future. And it's about Americans who are what I call iconic, important and inspiring. And you are all those things. And, and I, I think that this is going to be one of those interviews for people who have never heard of Aaron Mankin before. They're going to look back on this interview and remember this was the time they heard Aaron Mankin. Because you're now starting to go beyond the veterans community. And I hope this show can be a part of that. But um, you're our first person from Arkansas. Hey, there you go. And on this now show. You're, now, you're, now you're legit, right? Now, now, now I, want, <laughs> I, I said person from Arkansas because I asked you on the way in. I want you to explain it. Is it Arkansan? How, how do you refer to someone yeah, from Arkansas properly? There's debate within the state. On you know, you've got some people that consider themselves Arkansans. Uh, some people say Kansas. I don't like that. call me Kansas. Nothing, right? right. I'm an Arkansasier, right? And uh, so it goes back and forth. But uh, you know, I, I go, I go either way. What are you, what are you, what are you teaching the kids? You got two kids. They're now getting big. Um, what what do you teach them? Are are they Arkansans? <laughs> I think it just depends on who you're talking to. It goes either way. So um, go back to maybe tell people, what was it like where you grew up and and why did you join the Marine Corps? And then, um, you know, you've told this story a million times, but uh, tell it to folks in the way you think they should know it. Uh, there I was, right? <laughs> Let's start with where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in beautiful Northwest Arkansas, a city called Rogers. And in Rogers, uh, we're uh, home of Walmart store number one. It's where Sam Walt got his start. Uh, real big in the community there, home office and all that. Um, just a beautiful part of the state. You like being outdoors and uh, up in the Ozarks there. It's just it's gorgeous. So um, growing up, uh, did well in school, was always a, a decent student, um, enjoyed uh, debate and competitive speech in, in school and uh, <laughs> meeting future press secretaries, you know, debating. You did? Uh, oh, Huckabee was from Arkansas. Ah. You know, so uh, she lost. Sarah Huckabee. Yeah. So you met her when you were growing up. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we debated in the same, 
you know, uh, wow. competitions, right? Wow. She Did was, you ever debate against oh, yeah. Sarah Huckabee? Oh, yeah. How'd you do? <laughs> we beat her pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I see her up there still choking on her words like she used to. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but, That's amazing. Okay, please uh, continue. Uh, you know, I was successful at that. Enjoyed doing that. Doc, uh, after I got out of high school, uh, went to college for a few years. 9-11 happens. The world changes. I feel like uh, this is going to be my generation's war. I, I need to do something, right? This is 2003 when I enlisted. And uh, so, man, we were you know, being sold a war to, uh, uh, that was righteous. That was, you know, we, uh, those of us that believed in, you know, wow, exporting democracy, that's, that's something we can get behind. Let's take, take this to, to the world and, uh, uh, and, you know, everything else with that. But uh, I thought, what can I do if I'm going to be in the military? What can I do uh, that I do well? Because uh, I wanted to bring, you know, something to the table. I didn't want to just be another pair of boots in the sand. I wanted to to contribute or use my skills uh, in a way, give that uh, to my country. And uh, decided to be a combat correspondent. So uh, joined the Marine Corps, two thousand three, and did my training. And I was forward deployed to uh, Fallujah in two thousand five. Telling stories, trying to make Marines look good, you know, getting the news back home about what we were involved in, telling stories about, you know, getting Girl Scout cookies. Uh, uh, when Pope John Paul II died, having a service there in Fallujah, Marines' response to what else is going on in the world. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the kinetic side of things, combat operations, hard knocks, and uh, was uh, uh, Operation Matador. Uh, in early May in 2005 and, uh, with a group of Marines from Lucky Lima Company, 325. And uh, we did uh, did some house-to-house operations up near the Syrian border. And uh, we were, at the time, on the heels of Al-Zarqawi, who would later become you know, Father Isis. And, uh, so we were rushing through there. And sure enough, you know, I was, I was done. I got all my evidence. I got everything I needed uh, to come back and tell the story. And I thought, with what little time I have left, I'm going to go catch a bird. I'm out of here. With what little time, I'll just, I'll get some more B-roll, right? So I slide in another tape, right? Tape, mm-hmm. <laughs> 2005, right? Throw another tape in, start filming. Uh, just our, our movement, just, uh, you know, over the terrain, all our vehicles, and boom. Oh. Uh, rolled over a, a, an IED, threw a 26-ton vehicle, 10 feet in the air. Uh, the guys behind us said they could see the track in front of us. <clears throat> I was from underneath, yeah. meaning it was so high in the air you could see oh, underneath twenty-six oh. ton vehicles. Exactly, wow. exactly. Uh, and uh, boom! Now my, uh, I was standing up in the vehicle. I was exposed from the chest up, so I caught some of the initial blast, but I was so far toward the back of the vehicle that I just got thrown back inside. It was like somebody upended their barbecue and just threw hot coals on me, and it was all raining down, and I see flashes of orange, uh, and then, of course, the panic sits and everything. So, uh, I just just gasped, just, you realize I got to get out. Finally, one of our sergeants had, had muscled open a little, little hatch there in the sunlight, trickled in. I got my target, and I just dove, just dove out, and hit the deck, rolled around, for a while, my sleeves had caught fire. My, my face was on fire, and I roll, 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 and thought, 
uh, check, stop, no, it's still on fire, roll, roll, roll. And I had uh, exhausted myself trying to extinguish myself, and I, I, I laid there and thought, this is it. And, uh, you know, they say your old life flashes before your eyes. You know, for me, ironically enough, being a, a photographer, I just saw these pictures, you know, these, these images, these iconic images in my, in my life of my family and friends, you know, people, uh, worth fighting for, worth dying for. And as this, this peace came over me, I woke up to the sound of my fellow Marines yelling, put him out, put him out. And they run over and they're, they're diving on me, they're, right? And they, they put the flames out and I kind of snapped too. I kind of stand up. I wasn't wounded from the waist down. I thought I'm okay, right? Shocks in, I had no pain. I, I got to get back to my gear. I got to go get my, my mission. Why, you know, go tell this story. And on my way back to this inferno that I just narrowly escaped, Doc grabs me by the collar. Corman grabs me and says, you're hurt. You need to come with me. And uh, and that lesson right there teaches me a lot. I share that with people. And sometimes uh, you don't know how how hurt you are in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it takes someone else to come up and say, hey, I got you. I got you. Come with me. I'm going to take care of you. And, uh, and I've witnessed that over and over in my experience. And in this space uh, since then, going on man, 14 years now. So... Um, yeah, it's been, it's, uh, I mean, it so second and third degree burns from fingertips to shoulder blades, right? My flight jacket saved my core. And then, uh, my face, my nose was burned. My ears were burned. Uh, uh, scar contractures around my mouth were so tight. My mom had to feed me out of a funnel for, for weeks, you know, just to get food in me. And, uh, it's been, uh, what, gosh. Nearly 70 surgeries altogether. So, 70, sir. And yeah. I've seen you kind of every couple of months since then. And your your face has literally been reconstructed, right? And it's beautiful. It, 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 it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I will tell you, brother, because I love you. I mean, I think it's more beautiful than any other face I've ever seen because. You need to zoom in on this? Is there a zoom? But yeah, also, zoom <laughs> this is no shit because the work that went into it. I mean, like the amount of pain you've had to endure to have a face, right, is unimaginable. Um, just for a moment of, of levity, tell folks the, the story of when uh, you and I were at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> so we, there we were. That right? We're going to take, right? take an off ramp. There but I we was were, at we, the Playboy we Mansion. We, we, we've been on some weird experiences together. <laughs> it's we, crazy. You've had a, a much more uh, a Forrest Gump kind of experience over the last 10 years than I have. <laughs> But occasionally they've intersected. And at one point we ended up at a fundraiser at Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion right. in Los Angeles. <laughs> and and you are a funny motherfucker. Like, <laughs> you, you know, and I think it's important. I've, I've known a lot of folks who've been pretty severely wounded. And what I've found is that, you know, what, what it can do is magnify what's inside of you. That's and, true. And you, you learn that this... in the burn unit. You know, if you were an asshole before, you're going to be a burnt asshole. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to make you a better person. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And if you were charismatic and you were funny, it's magnified and it's intensified and it's, and it, and it's, it's in some ways kind of calcified. But um, t- tell, tell the Playboy Mansion story. So there I was at the Playboy Mansion, right? Uh, doing, uh, we were with the Thalians, uh, their 55th, uh, uh, fundraiser. And that year they were honoring Hef 
as Mr. Wonderful and got a lot of old, uh, just a lot of Hollywood uh, in the in the tent outside, his, you know, right outside the mansion. Huge party with Slash on guitar. Sugar Ray, I think, was there. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, who else? Uh, comedians. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was a party. It was crazy. Uh, and that evening they were, uh, benefiting Operation Mint. And that's, it's, I mean, you want to talk about gold standard. You want to talk about excellence. You want to talk about doing it right or, or, or saying thanks. Right. I'll talk more about that later, but Operation Mint, uh, uh, it, you know, is a, a group at UCLA Medical Center. It does facial reconstructions, it does a lot of heavy lifting for the guys who, and gals who, who come back that, you know, you, you think about, you know, losing an arm or losing a leg. You never think about losing your face or giving your face for your country. And, uh, Operation Men stepped up and filled a void, uh, that was needed. And, uh, uh, so Italians are going to do this big fundraiser for Operation Men. So they show the video. It's powerful. Powerful, you hear from these warriors that you know had given up so much, and even on themselves, in, in, in a lot of ways, or finally accepted the way that they looked. And, you know, I'm okay with that. So anything on, oh, that's just better. And you see, man, you see their, you see the light come back in their eyes. You know, you go, you look at the pictures online, the Operation Med website, and uh, it, it's powerful yeah it's powerful yeah. so yeah. they show the video and the room's kind of heavy and i jump up i'm in my dress blues right metals dangling looking good they have me a mic and i just i want to say thank you to them let them know what you're doing here matters thank you for your support and at the end i, I turned to hef sitting right up front right there and i thanked hef i said hef, i just want to thank you for letting a couple of marines come and have their way at your place and, you know, have their way at the bar. We're having a really good time. And you know, I'm just surprised at how, how comfortable I am here being surrounded by so many people who have had as much plastic surgery as I have. <laughs> and the place lost it. They lost, I mean, standing ovation. Yay, yay. I didn't know what to do. I was like, thank you and good night. Mike. That was it. I left. Yeah, a front row filled with Playboy playmates of all generations. Some who were who were you know decades past when they were when they were playmates, and it was <laughs> it was Hollywood. I mean, there was more plastic surgery in one room between Operation Men and Playboy playmates right? than maybe any other location in American history. Right? Crazy. It was it was crazy. Yeah. Well, but I, thought, it, I'm not, I, I can't say that every. I don't know when I'll ever get to use that line again. I gotta say it. I gotta say it. That, that's why I, I wanted you to tell that story, man. And, uh, you know, the first time I went to Operation Mend, I went on a tour and it's this, uh, incredible project at UCLA medical, which is one of the most innovative medical centers in the world. Um, you know, it was led by a, a Vietnam veteran and founded by the Katzes, Ron Katz, the great philanthropist and, and patriot. Uh, and on a very basic level, they had been doing plastic surgeries. They had been doing boob jobs and facelifts. And I heard, you know, Dr. Miller, right? Dr. Miller? Yeah. Tell, the, Miller. tell the story. You know, I, he was a Vietnam veteran. Right. And he had been- Broad star recipient. Broad, and he had been doing boob jobs and facelifts. And the war was happening and guys like you didn't have a face. And he said, boy, I have a skill set and I can apply it to these men and women coming home. Well, and we, yeah. we came home with it. With that need. Yeah. And, because uh, the army didn't finish the job, right? They would explain this. They would get you good enough to live, but not good enough to- 
to be able to open your mouth wide enough to eat a hamburger. Functionality. Right? Functionality, right? right? Or to be able to, um, Octavio Sanchez, one of, yeah. your, one of our friends and dear colleagues, an incredible human being, he said he just wanted to be able to pick his kids up at, 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 at soccer uh, and not have the other kids make fun of his dad. Yeah. Right? Like things yeah. that I think other people take for, be able to close your eyelids, right? Like oh, yeah. so, so many different things that I think people take for granted. But the innovation is what blew my mind. And when I was there, um, they were doing hand transplants, right? Which, oh, which, yeah. which are now- Like a, Frankenstein. Like, right? Yeah. Legitimate- Cody po- Azari out there po- is a magician. Dr. Azari, is, is, I hope, will join us at some point on the show. And they were doing um, penis implants. They were doing reconstru- penal reconstruction, which was important because people don't understand how many people got blown up below the waist. And I was reading, I think it was just a few weeks ago- at Johns Hopkins, they completed the first successful um, pe- penis transplant. Penile transplant, yeah. Right? Penile transplant. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's I mean, huge. it's that is it is it is truly sci-fi. I watched them take skin from an arm and the veins from an arm and reconstruct and fashion a penis. And they had been doing um, they had been doing trans ops as well, yep. right? For 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 people going through um, trans surgery and. It, just to see this 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 connection and this rallying, and every time you guys came to UCLA, you'd kind of go out in LA. Melanie Gideon, who who, who uh, was one of the most incredible patriots we've ever seen, she ran Operation Men for a long time. She was the boots on the ground. She would pick every one of you up, and you would go through this weird situation where you go to a surgery, right? You come out of Arkansas, and then you sit courtside at a Lakers game with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Right? Yeah, crazy. So what, what was that like, man, to go through those worlds and on some levels, man, to be, you know, to be defined, to have so much of your life defined by that moment and that injury. And to, frankly, don't you get sick of telling the story? <laughs> no, I don't. Because it's, you know, that's- I know that's, it's painful. That's a, I know every time you tell it on some levels, it's painful. And you're giving, like, I want to thank you for sharing the story. Because Bob Carey told me every time a Medal of Honor recipient tells a story, it hurts. And you're pulling it out of you and sharing it. So I want to thank you for that. But but also give you a chance to explain what you think about that well, question. Thank you. Well, I, I you know, it, Operation Men was- was birthed out of this again this need for facial reconstructions because the system that that we were placed in at Brook Army Medical Center was just not equipped to handle what we needed. Right, they had surgeons, but these surgeons weren't board certified plastic surgeons. Uh, so I, yeah, Operation Men stepped up and and filled, found the need, filled the need, and. Uh, but yeah. you don't get tired of telling that story. Uh, that story, because there, there's so many elements the story to that of story. Hurt. Uh, right? Of the of the event, yeah. of the incident, yeah. uh, no. Uh, for one, uh, I was a trained storyteller. I was there to tell a story. I didn't want to be the story. I became the story. So what do you do with that? I'm going to keep telling my story, and I know I've seen it. I've seen the benefits of just, just. Just sharing with someone or just being real, just saying, you know, I struggle, I hurt too, right? Or they see my scars, they, they're already, they're already to that point. They want to know, you know, they want to know more about it. They want to engage. So there's a chance to educate there, right? And I embraced that. I was a substitute teacher before I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And, uh, I always thought I'd use the Corps, you know, to, to get back into the classroom. 
Uh, and here I've been given a story, I've been given a platform, I've been given opportunities to continue to share that story and educate other people about uh, not just our experiences, but in sharing those stories and giving other people an opportunity. They want to reciprocate. They feel like, okay, it's okay to tell my story. And yes, it hurts every time I tell it, right? And we gave six Marines that day, some fathers, all sons, and I'll never forget them, right? They're with me always. And in sharing that, they're, they're always alive. Uh, and that's how, you know, you, a lot of time around this, this, you know, this time of year, people want to say thank you. They want to do something. They want to find out, you know, how do you do that? How do you do that? You're asking yourself, how do you, how do you say that? How do you do a sacrifice so, so sacred? How do you, how do you live? How, how do you say thank you to that? Uh, and the answer is simple. You just, you live a life worthy of such a sacrifice yeah. and to embody those beliefs, those core values that we all have as Americans, right? And, 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 and coalesce and come together, you know, and that's, there's, uh, uh, there's healing in sharing, right? And, uh, and knowing you're not alone, right? And I didn't do anything by myself. Right, especially not in the Marine Corps. So, yeah, you know, I didn't go anywhere, do anything on my own, right? And so to come home and almost be expected to, all right, you got this, right? Not me personally, but uh, you know others, right? Good luck out there. Uh, it's just so, just the opposite of 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 who we are. I think anyone listening to this conversation is now going to understand why, if you decide to run for office. Uh, yes, <laughs> that, that I may have to shut down this podcast and a lot of folks may have to leave their jobs and go down to Arkansas or wherever you go. I, I don't want that. No, I, I really, I mean it, man, because you've been a, a rising star for so many years. And I think there's this wave, a small number, you're very unique, but a small number of, of um, especially veterans, but not only veterans who've been through some really tough shit and have come out on the other side and have not gone into politics. Right, like you very easily could have run for office. You could have, you know, gone into Congress. That's an, that's an, that's almost an easy route. Um, and I and I hope that people will continue to try to recruit you for more leadership positions. But you've done a different kind of work in that it's just been a grind, man. You're on so many planes and in so many classrooms and on so many local TV shows. I mean, I've done a lot of interviews, man. But do you have any idea how many you've done? Over the last decade? No, no, no. No. No count on it. And and our friend Willie Geist was the first ever Willie. guest on this show. <laughs> and he's been a tremendous advocate for Operation well, I was Man. was with Willie last night. He came out to celebrate with us uh, and continue to support Operation Man. He's on our board of advisors there. and uh, He and his wife, Christina, and their kids are just they're, they're beautiful people. They're great human beings. Yeah. I, we earlier said that maybe Willie could run on a ticket with Wes Moore, but he might maybe run a, on a ticket with you. And uh, maybe lock up the you, South, too, which would be, you. you know, Sarah Sarah Huckabee be shaking in her shoes <laughs> if you ran. So um, go go back, going back to Arkansas, I want to ask you a question I asked Willie, a question I ask, I ask everyone. Um, Aaron Mankin, when you were growing up in the Ozarks, Aaron Mankin, what was your first car? Oh, God, my first car... <laughs> Was a uh, a sky blue ninety one Dodge Spirit. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, magical. <laughs> magical. Magical. Good times. Magic. Good well, times. Where did you get it? Do you remember where you got it? Uh, from a uh, neighbor down the street. A good deal. to $1,800 for a first car. And drove it till the wheels fall off. Wow. Yeah. Did you drive it to... Well, you, you can't take a car in Marine Corps boot camp, can you? Oh, no. No. No, I was in a Jeep by then, but... You were in a Jeep. Yeah, my grand, Jeep's great. grand Cherokees. I've been in a Jeep ever since. Really? Yeah. Excellent. What color was the in interior of your first car? Do you uh, well, that sky blue on the outside yeah. and kind of a darker blue on the inside. It's kind of it's kind of smooth. Uh, I wouldn't think? say that. The, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, Magical. Right? The wheel covers, you know, yeah. they, they didn't match. Uh, paint was flaking off in other places. Yep. Uh, but, uh, man, the guy behind the wheel had it had it going on. Yeah. He still, he still does. <laughs> he still does. So... You've been through this, uh, you know, mind-bogglingly difficult journey, and I want to ask you, um, you know, some some questions that folks can't see because I see it. Your what people can't see is your hand has been injured, and what they can hear is your lungs and your throat have been injured. So, can you talk about that? And to whatever extent you're comfortable, you know, where are you in this recovery? You'll be, or, or maybe you call it something different, but this journey that will never end. Right, it will be probably for your whole life, but seventy surgeries, yeah. And I'd see you sometimes like the couple of days afterward, rough, right? And it was not like little surgeries; it was oh, like no. they were putting a nose on. Well, you. those are surgeries. Right? Seventy like, surgeries yeah. where I'd lay on the table, but yeah. there's hundreds of procedures in that, right? Because my my philosophy was: if you're gonna knock me out, I'm gonna be down. Then do everything, yeah. right? Let's yeah. do it all, yeah. right? Why, why, why you're there, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, my hands, uh, you know, scarred throughout. I had uh, extremely limited range of motion in my left hand, uh, which has now become my dominant hand. Because uh, on my right hand, my thumb and index finger have been amputated. Uh, my middle and ring finger uh, are affixed and uh, a straight position. And then my uh, pinky has a boutonniere scar contracture that kind of tucks it up a little bit. So, but I can fit it in my pocket. It's a little... Uh, uh, hypersensitive at times, but uh, I've got plans to get back uh, to operation men and work with some hand surgeons to see if we can improve that. And that's that's that striving for you know what do you need? What can we do do for you now? And, and you have a way of holding the mic that like you've held the mic enough that you know how to hold the mic in that in you know your dominant hand is facing me. Your 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 less dominant hand has the mic kind of uh, ratcheted between your fingers in a way that's really. Effective. Right. Well, right? I'm right-handed, right? Yeah. I had to, I had to learn how to not just do everything all over again, right? Walk, dress myself, take care, of it. but then to, to learn to be left-handed on top of it. And that was just the new normal. You just, and over time, right? Doing little things, you, you get pretty good at it. So. And your lungs and your throat and your voice, we can hear it in your voice. Yeah. But those, what, those what do you, where are inhalation you? injuries and then uh, constant innovations and that sort of thing can uh, create a lot of scar tissue in the throat. So I've had some surgeries to, to clean that up, try and get my voice to a more, uh, more, more flexible, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, doing so many surgeries, healing up. My kids were young and I didn't want them growing up in hospitals. So I took some time off and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll come back, uh, heal up for a while and do some more surgeries. And, uh, man, that was almost six years ago, you know, operation men's, uh, 12 now. Amazing. And, um, to see that grow, to see. And you are the face, you are literally the face of this program, right? And, and as you've, 
improved and grown stronger. This program has improved and grown stronger and gone national. Well, we've learned a lot. You know, we we realized very early on we couldn't just focus on the scars you could see and not acknowledge the ones you can't. And so the the program ballooned into this uh, all-encompassing care. And we include, you know, uh, caregivers, uh, the support element for the warriors when they come in because uh, we know how important that is. We can't bring them in, do what we need, and then send them home and have their support element unaware of what what we're doing. So having all that communication has been invaluable. And, you know, the element of the Operation Mend uh, that is, you know, if the surgeries and clinical side, if that's the heart of what Operation Mend does, uh, the soul is is the Buddy Family program. When we go out for, for surgeries, uh, they pair us with a family in the community. So when a family who volunteers to open their doors and, and have someone come in and just be there, be a phone call away if you need anything or get you away from the hospital during some downtime, either take you out to dinner or you know, take your kids to Disneyland or something to create a positive experience while you're there. I know that, know that people care and to give that opportunity to any community. Uh, is only going to enrich uh, all the people involved. So it's been powerful to in see. Some, in some ways, it's it's kind of really perfect that it is right next to Hollywood, right? Because, you know, the ki- for the family and for the kids, it can be kind of a, a vacation. You can go to a Lakers game. You can yeah. go to the oh, beach. I'm so glad dad's got surgery this week. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can yeah. go to the beach, it's, it's, right? Yeah. And you're in there getting cut up for the 70th time, and the kids are at the beach. But I mean it. Like, if you had to go to... You know, no, no, like a like a, a cold ass place in the Midwest or, or somewhere else that that didn't have Disneyland down the street, it'd be a little bit trickier. And I think what I've seen too is that it's a very patriotic community. Um, I think California sometimes gets a bad rap in politics, but it, you know, Southern California in particular has more post nine eleven veterans than anywhere else in the country, from L.A. all the way down, especially in San Diego and South. Tons of Marines, tons of retirees, tons of students. But Aaron, you've kept this incredibly positive attitude. Um, I remember seeing you speak when you've literally had a hole in your throat. Yeah. Right? I've never seen, I mean, the, the shit that you've pulled off, <laughs> right, is unbelievable. Like the way you're able, you're such an incredibly dedicated storyteller and a, a performer on some levels. Anybody who's been in front of a camera know that there, knows that there's an artistry to it and a performance to it. But your ability to pull it off you know, and make it look easy is, is, is spellbinding to me and so many others. But if anybody had a, had a right to be angry, it would be you. This show is called angry Americans. It's about, you know, what makes folks angry. A lot of things that make everyone angry, but also about turning that righteous anger into something positive. And I don't know anybody who's done that better than you, but on a very basic level, we all get angry. So Aaron Mankin, yeah, Yeah. Aaron Mankin, what, what makes you angry? Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I, it's a great question because I don't, I don't get angry often or, or I don't spend a lot of time in the angry space. Try and you know, either distract myself or, or, or move on to something else that's more positive. But, uh, you know, it's been a journey to, uh, to come home very early on in the war when a nation was still very excited to to care and, and be involved with uh, with warriors or just military in general, um, a lot of momentum, right? In that in, in our community, 
at that time to come home and witness that, you know, to, you know, board a plane and have, you know, some first class passenger, some citizen say, no, you sit here. You're, 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 you sit here. I'll go, right? Just get their, get their seats or, uh, give any way they can, you know. Uh, it's been incredible to see. <clears throat> uh, what makes me angry is, 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 uh, how that's waned. How the, how we see, uh, you know, maybe the constant mirage now that we're in your face all the time. Now that we're, now that we have a presence, right? Now that we've been lifted to here and you see us more than maybe you did before, it's easier to kind of glance over. It's easier to look past, uh, or ignore it. Uh, when the need is, is just as great as it's always been. Uh, and, uh, I get angry when we forget ourselves. Uh, we have these events, we have these, we got a day, so a day to remember. And uh, again, I, you know, some people, it's just routine and, and they forget, they forget themselves or they'll say thank you as an empty platitude and stops there. It doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. It's no good. <clears throat> so empty platitudes make me angry. Um, I'm tired of hearing thank you when it doesn't, doesn't mean nothing, doesn't do nothing, doesn't help nobody. Uh, but we should, we should be thankful. You should, you should say thank you. Don't get me wrong. Say thank you, but it needs to be, needs to be gratitude. Right. Mm. Right. And that gratitude is, is action. Mm. Right. Manifest. Uh, and then I mean, it's their sacrifice that makes us grateful. Right. That gratitude calls us all to serve. And in that service, regardless of where you find yourself, so do something. Right. If you don't fight there, if you don't go there, if you don't serve there, serve them, serve those that do. But every everyone should do something. And that gratitude right, makes us uh, call to serve. You know? And in that service, we're united. In that service, that brings us together. That's our tribe. Right. That's us being us doing what we do. We forget where we came from and how we all got here, how our diversity is our strength, how e pluribus unum from anyone, right? <clears throat> so I, I it's just, you know, because we have to, we can't, we can't, lest we forget, right? From, mm -hmm. from killing fall, lest we forget. And that's a warning. That's a warning of the things to come. Of, 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 uh, of the doom of, of, of what we're trying to create if we forget, <clears throat> lest we forget, mm. you know, who we are, who we are, <clears throat> where we came from, what we do best, why we're here, for when it matters most. And it matters most for the next time. There's always us. There's always a them, Right. We've been creating veterans, service members, since the birth of our nation. This is not a new thing for us to continually be struggling to provide for the men and women we call heroes is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. I feel if more people were aware or took the initiative to educate themselves, uh, go out and meet a warrior, shake their hand, say thank you, and ask them, ask them, would you survive? Right? Give them a chance to tell their story, right? Uh, let's see yeah, lest we forget thank you brother so, thank you for sharing I'll, I'll keep trying to remind us right and I feel like you know, part of that's uh, uh, you know, the burden of being a, a survivor from the battlefield you, know, you have to carry a different burden 
Right. I didn't, I didn't leave that war. I didn't come home early and expect to be fighting a different war on the home front for years, storming Capitol Hill, slapping senators, trying to affect positive change in policy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll scream till my till my voice is gone. Right, you hear me now? Right. <laughs> and you you have been heard, I think. And it, it, but it's starting to echo. You and I have been in the White House together. We've 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 met with uh, some of the most powerful people of all parties in in Washington. Um, and there was a speech you gave when you accepted the IVA uh, Veterans Leadership Award um, that had elements of this answer you just had, where everyone stopped. Everybody stopped. You know, folks who were just listening to that answer from you maybe pulled over their car, maybe put it on pause, maybe pulled the kids in the room and said, You got to hear this man speak. Because, Aaron, you take people to church. You do. You take them to church in a way that is so powerful. And we've been making veterans, you know, from the beginning, but veterans have also been coming home and continuing to serve. And that often includes politics. So I want to ask you about your future aspirations. And again, I think too often people ask you what happened to you and not what you think. So I want to ask you, what do you think of the president? And what do you think of this state of affairs in America right now, far beyond veterans? Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, I was, grew up, I was always, I was always told that my parents were always told that uh, I would either, he's going to be a, a preacher or a politician. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm humble just to be a patriot. I, just, I, I don't want that job. I don't want to be a politician. Um, and I don't feel called to serve in that way. Um, as far as, uh, uh, you know, Commander in Chief, you know, even even when I was in active duty and, and and got sent to Iraq, part of that service, part of that servitude, part of being a servant, uh, you give up a lot. You give up a lot of freedoms that you have, uh, you know, because at that point, right, being in Fallujah, uh, trying to debate policy or or, or uh, execution at that point was. Was mute. So you kind of take yourself out of the picture and, and do, do, do your job, do your mission, get home. And, but you're in it now. And I, I appreciate, you know, you're, you, you I, I am inviting you to say what you think. And I know you don't get a chance to do it. You may not want to. And I respect that if you don't want to get involved in the political debate. Well, but I think you are a moral conscience for this country. At a time where we have a commander in chief who is testing the moral fabric of this country. I think regardless of people's political background, they see that and people are divided and it does come down to leadership. Every time you walk in a room, Aaron, you set a positive tone, right? Which is what we need more of in government and politics is getting nastier. And I think infecting the tone across this country, if everybody woke up to a press conference from Aaron Mankin every day, America would be a better place. Right, we wake up to a press conference with you know Sarah Sanders and Donald Trump. It's 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 a crapshoot, man, and half the country is going to be pissed. But like when you see him, you know what what are your thoughts on 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 him as a leader? Oh, and I mean, uh, my my opinion on the president is is well, it, it, as a veteran, as a as a marine, it, who's who's been in this community for so long and seen so much 
selflessness. It epitomizes who we are uh, to have uh, anyone at any level of leadership continually make it about themselves uh, does a great injustice to those who, who uh, right now all around the world uh, are making us proud. And they're not doing it for them. They're not doing it for him. Right? Uh, and and right, we have to remind ourselves, again, why we're here. Right? And this grand experiment that we have. And this little blip on the radar, this little moment in history. Right? Because I've seen it. I've seen it. I was there. You know how we are unified. You know how we can galvanize. Right? I hate I hate to think that it's 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 going to take another tragedy. It's going to take something so terrible that we all suffer together. We all feel together and remember where we were and promise each other again not to forget. Again, not to forget and bring us together and move forward. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've had good presidencies. We've had bad presidencies. But this community has continued, continually looked out for each other, continually provided for each other. And I hear the static. I hear the noise. I hear the chatter, uh, over the airwaves, uh, and all the attention he sucks out of the room, uh, because he demands it. Right? He needs that to continually feed his machine by design, right? It's all by design. <sighs> It makes me angry that at a time of Veterans Day, we're not talking about veterans issues. We're talking about the guy in the office making about him. And that's, it's incredibly disappointing. So you were at the Veterans Day parade here in New York and he came. Um, I chose not to go. I chose to boycott the event because I did not want to be politicized. You and I both know that at events like this, oftentimes, politician may grab you you probably more than anybody take a photo with you and politicize you use you oh yeah and I, been, and, I mean i've been able to steal my picture offline and you know do it for this party or that party you just get used you know and i don't i did not want to do that and so i chose a different route i respect the folks that wanted to go i respect the folks that didn't go and um that was my core issue is like you know, everybody says, oh, you know, he's a commander chief. He can come. Well, would you want him at your daughter's wedding right now or your son's wedding? Because think about all the complications that would come with that. Think about all the people you have to explain it to. Think about the folks who just won't come. Think about the folks who'll be excited. But it will make the wedding about him instead of about the bride and groom. And that's what I felt like happened at the parade. But you were there. How did you feel about him coming to the parade? Uh, you know, what, it, just that it was different. Again, just that uh, he, uh, anytime you have the president on deck, it, it, it changes, you know, it's how things flow, how things work, right? He certainly didn't make anything, anything easier. Didn't make anything better for anyone that was there. Uh, and, uh, but my experience when we got out of the subway, we got topside and started finding our you're walking through the streets of New York and everywhere there they want to say thank you they want to show their appreciation they want to give you your love he had no impact on that whatsoever right 
You want to need to say that, and they did exactly that. So walking up Fifth Avenue like a boss with our operation event crew, right? Beautiful day, smiles on my kids' faces, right? Getting to experience that, getting to see people lining the streets, shaking their hand, welcoming people home. Uh, it was powerful, powerful day. And they put us right in front of the Marine Corps band. <laughs> right, and they're playing the Marine Corps hand. They play our song. I mean, every block, every block, they start over. We got five Marines. You know, we got to lock up. Wait, wait. Uh, you know, standard attention. Singer song. To be in front of Slash or somebody different. You heard the Marine Corps band song probably than any other human being on the planet who's not in the Marine Corps band. Um, Aaron, a lot of the folks who listen to this show don't have a political home. They are unaffiliated. They are independent. I've seen, especially in the veterans community, but nationwide, they are a growing uh, force, well, the fastest growing group that I see, people who don't want to be Republicans or Democrats or don't see a leader that they can run behind in Donald Trump or in Bernie Sanders. Well, the whole um, two-party system is incredibly frustrating. So you and I have talked about this offline, but but where, how do you identify yourself politically? Uh, politically, more of an independent. You know, I, I mean, having to put labels on this or that, you know, again, I'd rather see policy. I'd rather uh, see the person, right, and judge their character, right? I remember we used to elect people based on character. Character counts, right? That's that's what makes a leader a good leader, the characteristics that they have and, and a track record of, of executive decisions that proved successful. Right? right, that had a longevity of success. I want, I want that person to carry us into the future. Mm. You, you are such a great guest to have because a lot of what the country is experiencing right now is pain, pain. Been there, and I think there's a, an attraction to Joe Biden in particular for some because he can be a consoler in chief because he's dealt with the loss of his children because he understands about pain. Yeah. I think Obama was great about understanding and empathizing and communicating Empathy. pain. George Bush was great at, about it at times, and Trump has, has consistently struggled with it. But you are, um, you, you are an ambassador for helping people navigate pain in, in a very important way. It's such a noble and important thing that you do in sharing your story and talking about it. But in those moments, maybe someone on a very, you know, not to dismiss it all, maybe someone's in a dentist chair. Maybe someone has to have a mastectomy. Maybe, maybe, maybe a mastectomy. Maybe, maybe they're going through childbirth. Maybe they're going through uh, the loss of someone close to them. In those really deep moments of pain, how do you, how do you get through it? What do you do? Oh, well, I, I have the benefit of having some really good medications. You know, <laughs> and then I go, oh, you know, I'm fine. Uh, Pain-wise, right? Yeah. Pain is temporary. Yeah. Pain is temporary. Uh, but the, the but hurt, for you, pain has been a constant, it's, it, right? It, it's it's you have you have you know yeah. mental armor, right, to right. deal with the level of pain that you've endured. I don't know if I if I sat across a, a man who's endured as much pain as you have physically and emotional, which is a part of it, and spiritual. Like sure. it's all hard. Sure. So so you know when when that pain comes, what do you what do you think? What goes through your head? What's your what's your plan? Well, How like you, we talked to earlier, scars are not forever, yeah. right? And that takes. That that ethos, that mentality takes uh, it takes courage, and, and courage is one of those. Especially this time of year, a word gets thrown around. Right around. Courage, courage is you know, is is action again, right? You can be brave, but bravery and action is courage, and you cannot have courage without faith. 
without believing that this will turn out well. This is going to be okay. Uh, and having that, that vision for yourself. <clears throat> and, and only you can make that choice. Only you, and that's, that's, I think sometimes people just don't know how much power they have. You know, when I travel, when I speak at schools, I teach our students about, you know, yeah, this happened to me. In your life, bombs are going to go off. Something's going to happen. You know, and your life's going to send you in a, in a totally different direction. Uh, and you may feel helpless and it's going to be hard, but, but trust me, know this. You have more power. You're more powerful than you have yet to comprehend because you can make that choice and you're the only one that can. Mm. Thank you. I'm just going to keep saying thank you because at some point it's just everything you do is a, is a, is a gift of knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> um, and, uh, we, we have to be mindful of time and get you to a plane and get you home to your kids. But uh, Aaron Mankin, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Well, my kids make me happy. You bring up my kids, Madeline and Hunter. Uh, my girl, Elise, you know, uh, her love and support. Uh, her boy, Jackson. And uh, uh, my family, my support element, everyone I've got uh, in my community. Uh, that's uh, since day one, since 5-11, 2005, been... Uh, uh, praying for me, lifting me up, doing whatever they can to to stay engaged. Uh, that makes me happy. You know, uh, being in uh, a room with PJ Clark's last night, <laughs> surrounded by Operation Men, warriors, and seeing them grow in their recovery, and 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 uh, being around all these people that that I've come to love and call my family. Uh, I, I had to, I had to sit there for a second, and catch my breath. Oh, I'm really happy right now. Um, uh, and, you know, I love, I love seeing people come together and, and doing something they, they didn't know they could do or didn't know if they could pull it off, but they tried and, and, and there was, there was success and we learned something and, uh, and we're all better for it. And just, there's so many examples all around the country, all these organizations, all these groups, uh, putting years under their belts, you know, and, uh, laser focusing their missions. There's so many room, so much room for people to, to get engaged, to, to find whatever your niche is, whatever you like, whatever, pick it, right? Uh, uh, if your thing's, uh, education. Right, scholarships, grants, keep these warriors uh, at the top of their game. You can contribute to that. If it's health and sciences, if it's you know completing someone's physical, I got, I know a guy, mm -hmm. right? I've reached out, know a guy. Yep. Uh, if it's equine therapy, if it's you know whatever it is, whatever it is, there's no excuse to not to not serve. Zero. And you are a happy guy. And I, I, I my favorite part during Veterans Week, it's grueling. It's tiring. We're out there. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot. This of, is the finish line, right it's, here. And, yeah. it's, and it's it's exhilarating, right? But um, there's something like at the end of it when you're when you're uh, you know going for a walk or you're at the bar or you're having the phone calls afterward when we get home. It's kind of like the the day after the game, right? Because the game goes by and it kicks your ass and you kind of have to settle in and think about it afterward. But there is no more fun group of people to party with. Than the Operation Men crew, Shoot. right? And oh, be around man. your crew 
and it's it's yeah. a bunch of people who appreciate the shit out of life, well, right? Because every day is a gift. And I, I went to uh, I've been to I've been blessed to go to a lot of places in the world. One place I went to was Israel at one point, and I was at a, a club late at night with a friend who took me there. And uh, Israel was Tel Aviv was a great time, a great fucking time, and and the parties were great, and and the music was great, and people were happy, and it, it kind of surprised me. And my friend turned to me and said, "You know what?" You know, you'd party your ass off too if you thought you were going to die every day, if you thought a missile might land on your house. And there was a very basic element of that that I've seen in conflict zones and I've seen in war zones, but I've seen around people who've been through some shit. And and you, and I got to give a shout out to Octavio and to Joey Polk and Joey. so many others. You were the first, man, like in a very difficult thing. You were the first like bionic man. You were the first one to go through it, right? You've been through so many things, but the bravery and courage that you demonstrated around that was really important and inspiring. Um, you also like football. I, I do some football. We talk yeah. about some football. Well, yeah, you talk about some sports. You know, but it's You got any thoughts on the time? state of affairs in football right now? Not generally, no. I was uh, what, <laughs> so busy with other things. Yeah, and, and uh, I've been distracted. I'm, I'm a ham and cheese. I'm a Razorback fan. Yeah. And a, and a Green Bay Packer fan. Yeah. Ham and cheese, right? And uh, Did you make that up? You, I, uh, that's great. If you just thing. made that up, that's uh, great. Ham and cheese. As if you're in Arkansas. Well, and, if the and, hogs went on Saturday yeah. and my pack wins on Sunday, then daddy gets some, some ham and cheese. I love yeah, it. It makes me happy. I love it. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. You should coin that. That's like yeah. a t shirt, man. Uh, that's your vote. That's a very unique voting block for you. You can get, get together with Jake Wood from, from Wisconsin. Love Jake. And love Jake. Uh, the two of you together would be a formidable duo on any playing field. <laughs> Um, but I do, I do want to let you go. Any, anything else you want to share, man? Just uh, floor is yours for a minute or two on anything that's on your mind. Not about that stuff, not about being wounded, not, uh, I mean, anything that's going on in the world that you want to just talk about or share about or. Free floor, right? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, uh, you talk about, having a good time with the boys, you know, an operation and having a good time with that crew. And something to be said about that. People who, uh, I think have, have, have suffered a lot, and, uh, been able to, to pick themselves back up and have that perspective, uh, and, and look forward to a good time. Cause you, it, it, I don't know if it just means a little more or it's just something a little richer about it, but taste, taste a little sweeter, uh, knowing that you still, you still can't celebrate you still got uh good good reasons out there to slap a smile on your face uh you know and and things that just make you laugh things that other people might see uh, uh tragedy and you find some some humor or, or something and uh, you know i tell a story about uh, my son hunter when he was about three years old and i'd come back from some operations in ucla and they had outfitted me with these prosthetic ears beautiful beautiful ears uh handcrafted molded you know hand painted look look good right hollywood prosthetic stuff so i glue those on in the morning right so i'm there in the morning getting ready going through my routine putting my face on right literally and my son comes in and uh hugs my neck tells me good morning i turn around to finish what i do i notice notice my my ears are gone so now, now in my house, at the top of the stairs of my door, yelling at my three-year-old, you bring your daddy's ears back here right now. I know you heard me. You got three ears. I know you heard me. Get up here. And uh, uh, little things, man. 
little things are, are huge sometimes. And, uh, and having that perspective or having somebody in your life give, give you a little perspective is, uh, something I think that's a, or a value that, uh, we've let slide away from us. So, uh, if I could, if I could be a part of that, you know, I, I've always said, even before, you know, BC, before the core, you know, when I was young, uh, in school, kind of ask early on, if you could, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? Or if money was no option, what would you do? What would make you happy? Uh, and for me, I always thought, man, if I could travel and speak, I think I'd love that. And here I am with, with a, a story to tell and, 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 uh, that's my passion. That's my passion. Mm-hmm. So if I can, if I can keep doing that, if I can get out there, you know, if preachers and politicians are making all the money, how much can a patriot make to <laughs> right. show up and tell some stories and, uh, and try and educate a little bit? Well, you, your, your stories and your wisdom and your inspiration are a gift, oh, and and they're a gift to anyone who's listening right now, anyone who's heard you before, anyone will hear you in the future. This is an interview. I think people will go back and listen two years from now. Um, you are a conscience. You are a total fucking badass and a, and, a, and a great inspiration. And I don't even know who's running for governor of Arkansas, but if you run, you're going to crush him or her. <laughs> um, and before speaking of gifts, before I let you go, we have the giving of the gifts. What is this? this is part of the show. Um, you haven't listened enough, and I will. It's not uh, you have to go back and listen to Willie Geis because he almost went to the. Po- I'm gonna hold your Am mic. I doing, Am I doing this? Yeah, hold on. Uh, you almost went to the Polish embassy by accident, which is a story that you can hear in episode one. But oh, first off, we got some some swag for you. Nice. Some American made. It's good quality too, people. He's not skipping on the t-shirts. Made in America by Oscar Mike. You know those guys? Yeah, I do. Yeah, knowing those guys. Yeah. Out in Chicago yeah, area. Great. Oscar Mike, Angry Americans gear, so you can enjoy good crew. that. And uh, when you were uh, having a crown vanilla and Sprite, I like how you just, you just, you just peeps. now we got your peeps here. Now here we got an interesting peep story. My wife says, maybe I should stop doing the peeps question. Might be getting old, but tell, it's always full of surprise. So here's the deal. Tell her I said hello. I will. Give she love. loves the hell out of you. Say something for yourself. I will. I will. No, no. The, the peeps, hold on. This is the thing. Oh, okay. So pull, pull them out. You got, uh, usually we have yellow, blue, and pink, but- Someone stole our stash of yellow here at the car club, which is an issue for another time. Someone stole the yellow. So normally you get to choose. You're shoving them all on your chest, which is amazing. Um, Aaron Mankin, if you had to choose a color, would you choose yellow, which is in absentia here, blue or pink? Uh, like reaching for a peep on the table, which is no, the first no, one I grabbed? Which, 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 if you had to choose well, go, one of I'll these? I'll go with blue. Why? Uh, it's pretty. There you go. Makes me feel pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty and it makes you feel pretty. Yeah. You are pretty. I love it. I love it. I love it. And lastly, we got something special for you. Uh, our friends at Fort Hamilton Whiskey. Oh, wow. Uh, made in New York. Rye used to be made in New York. This is this just came out. And hold on a second. I'm going to tell you what it is. Hold this. Gotcha. This is their new double barrel uh, rye whiskey. And it's pretty badass. This is a, a blend of, of straight rye whiskeys. It's, they call it double barrel. It's pretty good, double barrel, because you're you're great. double barrel badass. And this just came out from our friends at Fort Hamilton Whiskey, big supporters of this show and of uh, military and veterans everywhere. And that's for you. You can enjoy it on the airplane or, or <laughs> when someone steals your ears or anything else. Um, but my brother, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Every day I get out of bed, I feel like it's a better world because you're in it doing good stuff. And for folks listening, watch Aaron Mankin. 
He's just getting started. And uh, for me, this transition has been fun because the gloves have kind of come off and now I can let my hands fly. And I know that that's starting to happen more with you. And uh, this country needs you. This country loves you. But more important, it's just, it's fun to watch you rise, man. I'm, I'm grateful for your friendship and especially for being with me here today. Thank you, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Aaron Mankin. Vote for him, support him, follow him, hire him to come to your school or town. You can find him uh, on the Operation Men website. I will post uh, some photos of, of that as well so you can see his incredible transition. He's going to take a Ferrari to the airport <laughs> and fly back down to Arkansas in time for the game. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Aaron Mankin live from the Classic Car Club Manhattan. Thanks for joining us. We've got a new supporter of this show, and it's one that I'm really excited about. It's Fort Hamilton Whiskey. We talk a lot about this show, about things that are made in America that bring the four eyes and represent our values, and Fort Hamilton Whiskey does that. Now, here's the story. August 1775, Alexander Hamilton's militia orchestrates a daring raid on Lower Manhattan, and under fire from the HMS Asia, they seize and repurpose a battery of British cannons, therefore farming America's first artillery company. They stole the cannons and they started an artillery company. And that is the spirit of revolution. And that is the spirit of Fort Hamilton Rye. Now, Fort Hamilton Rye is a traditional Northeastern American style rye, which means it has no corn in the mash. It's made purely with rye, malted barley, yeast, and water, and it gets a really rich, full, and robust flavor. The rye gets barreled at a low proof for a smoother profile that emphasizes the rye grain over the barrel. And it's non-chill filtered and aged and heavily charred new American white oak barrels on the waterfront in Brooklyn. And as is tradition for Eastern Rise, the warehouse is heated in the winter to keep the aging process moving. This is how it was done before Prohibition and in places like New York. Now, Fort Hamilton Whiskey is the first offering from Alex Clark Spirits, a Brooklyn-based company run by a great dude, Alex Clark. And he's a master mixologist. And they have this language that's old school on their website which I will try to do. Whilst excellent, savored, straight, or over iced, they use the word whilst, which you don't see very often. Fort Hamilton Rye Whiskey is the perfect companion for your handcrafted cocktails. If you go to their website, forthamiltonwhiskey.com, you can see these drinks that Alex Clark has come up with. They're the kind of drinks that Rachel Maddow would love, uh, the kind of drinks that my friend Aaron Mankin will love. And if you're experiencing a little pain, sometimes a little whiskey can help. Now, there are a few cocktail ideas on their website. Uh, and another one that I see there now that I love is called the French Paradox. And it's got Fort Hamilton rye. It's got an ace infused Calvados. It's got some Demerara syrup. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds great. Uh, some bitters and an absinthe rinse. So anything with an absinthe rinse is worth checking out. And you stir the ingredients in an ice-filled stirring glass, you chill the rocks glass, and you rinse it with the absinthe, and you strain it in glass to express the lemon twist, which you then discard. It's a really cool drink, and it's a damn good whiskey, especially around the holidays. If you're looking for something to bring to a family or friend for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, this is a great one. So if you go to forthamiltonwhiskey.com, you can find out where to get it. If it's not in your area, call the stores and have them send it to you. They will take your credit card over the phone and send it to you wherever you may be. The founders of this country like George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, were the original angry Americans. And they're the spirit behind Fort Hamilton Whiskey. It's American-made, and it's awesome. You don't have a store near you, call those stores and see if they could send it to you. 
uh, or hit them up on the email. Go to forthamiltonwhiskey.com and tell them Angry Americans sent you. Cheers. All right, in the spirit of Aaron Mankin, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony, pain into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Now, every pod, I give you a way to convert that righteous, understandable anger into positive action. Positive action that shows angry Americans can also be impactful Americans, especially around the holidays. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and will make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Now, for Thanksgiving, do what you can. Turkey trots, care package drives for troops, food drives. And as the new Mr. Rogers movie comes out this week starring Tom Hanks, my action is really simple. Be a good neighbor. Invite someone to Thanksgiving who needs it. Like this grandma did. I was sitting in class and I get this random text from a random group chat and it was uh, someone's grandma inviting me over for Thanksgiving. 17-year-old Jamal Hinton was in class Monday when his phone started blowing up. The text came in reading, dinner is at my house on Thanksgiving, 3 p.m. Let me know if you're coming. I text back and I say, who's this? And she was like, your grandma. And I was thinking, hey, my grandma got a new number, so why not ask for a picture? The picture came in not Jamal's grandma. Jamal fired back a selfie just to confirm she did not have the right person. We established that we weren't related, but I said, hey, why not ask for a plate since the offer was there? To Jamal's shock, the offer just as sweet as ever. Of course you can. That's what grandmas do. Feed everyone. I think that's crazy that... People can actually connect and be so nice to each other, even with people they don't even know. Jamal posted the chance encounter online and it's gone viral, shared hundreds of thousands of times. People online proclaiming her everyone's grandma. Jamal says a lady only known as grandma at this point is the example we should all set this Thanksgiving. By the way, he will be taking her up on her offer. Think of someone that you know that might be alone this Thanksgiving. Think of someone who's had a hard year this Thanksgiving. Think of a family that's had a hard time this year and invite them to your home for Thanksgiving or invite someone you don't even know. Be a helper. Use this opportunity to help someone else, to bring them into your home, to make them part of your family. And when you get to Thanksgiving and you're around the table with your family or your friends or just your dog, ask them the car question. That's a good one for the Thanksgiving table. Ask everyone around the table, hey, what was your first car? And I got one more action from you. And you heard about it from our guest, Aaron Mankin. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man better than he was before. Better, stronger, faster. UCLA Operation Men was established in 2007 as a partnership among UCLA Health, the United States military, and the Department of Veterans Affairs. 
to heal the wounds of war. Aaron Mankin is the spokesperson and literally the face for this program. They provide comprehensive health support for service members, veterans, and their families at zero cost. And you can find them by Googling Operation Mend or go to uclahealth.org backslash Operation Mend. Operation Mend was envisioned by Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center Board and Executive Committee member Ron Katz after he visited the Brook Army Medical Center. That's the Burn and Rehabilitation Center in San Antonio, Texas. Now, he and his wife, Maddie, provided a lead gift to build a new 42-unit Fisher House. Now, that visit inspired the Katz family to get a commitment from UCLA to partner with Brook Army Medical Center on Operation Mend. Mr. Katz said, I think it's the private sector's duty to stand up and do something extra to help. A few years ago when I was at IAVA, we honored Mr. Katz in Los Angeles, and he, his family, and his entire team have built this state-of-the-art, absolutely mind-blowing, innovative, and important program. It's called Operation Men. Google it, check it out, go through the website, share it with your family and friends, and understand this program is open to members of all service branches and all medical care, travel, accommodations, and provided at no cost to the participants and their families, families like Aaron Mankins. So this holiday season, be thankful for the leaders at Operation Men and help the helpers. Do what you can, donate your time, your money, and just spread the word. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. All right. Big thanks to a few folks that made this episode happen. Aaron Mankin, amazing human. Watch this guy, people. You will hear from him again. And massive thanks to him and his family and the amazing team in Operation Mend, especially Ron and Dana Katz and Melanie Gideon and Dr. Azari and everyone else there that makes it happen. Thanks to Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, and Rockin' Roy Velchek and our whole outstanding team at Righteous Media. They're doing the videos, they're doing the websites, they're doing all the platforms and content around this show. If you haven't gone and checked out the website, do that and check out our YouTube page. Thanks to our friends at Fort Hamilton Whiskey. It's great to have you as a partner on the show. We appreciate you and are looking forward to doing more together. Bill Schultz, producing this episode yet again. His audio magic is mind-blowing. He saves me so much pain, and he endures so much of it through the lost sleep in making this show sound good, even when I'm sick. So thank you to Bill. Big thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the new designs at oscarmike.us now. And if you order right now, you can get it in time for Christmas. American-made by veterans and free shipping over 60 bucks. Thanks to Oscar Mike. And it's time for my favorite part of the show. Thank a listener. Every week, I thank a few angry Americans just for listening. I'll make you famous. And yes, in future episodes, I will make you famous. So if you'd like to call 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-332-6479. Call, leave me a voicemail, and tell me what's got you angry. Or you can tell me what's got you happy. Or just leave me a message with anything you want, and maybe we'll use it on a future show. Call and you get your chance to sound off. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. And I want to thank a couple folks who did sound off. Thank you to Heather Wilson. 
Silver Spring, Maryland. There have been a lot of folks who are new to the show, and I want to welcome some of those newcomers. The show's been blowing up in the last few weeks, and many of you are here for the first time, and I want to thank you. That starts with Heather Wilson, who again is from Silver Springs, Maryland. She tweets it at Wilshie underscore 95. Her bio, dance your passion and be hospitable. Penn State alum and fan, Outlanderholic, Potterhead, Downtown Abbey Addict, and much more. Love the bio, Heather. But she tweeted a couple things. One, new to Angry Americans since Pod Save America. I am a moderate Dem and love your independent and military perspective. Binge the last four episodes and we'll be going back to the beginning for all guests. Number two, oatmeal. Agree. No cable. Off the grid. And she said, I hope PBS meets your standards. It actually does, Heather. I love PBS. I love NewsHour especially. Um, also a big fan of NPR and especially WNYC here in New York uh, and some of the other NPR affiliates around the country. But PBS does meet my standard. PBS is is even a little bit fancier than oatmeal. Maybe it's like those medley oatmeals that have the peaches in them or the blueberries. I love those. My kids love them too, and, and they definitely meet my standard. But I'm a big fan of PBS and a big fan of you, Heather. Thank you for supporting the show. Next up, Ben Ch, C-H. He's from Hopkins, Minnesota. He tweets it at Ben C-H, and he is a geologist, a Minnesota sports fan, and says he could use a beer. Um, You probably definitely could use a beer after Minnesota lost to Iowa. Great game. Minnesota's still having a great year, Um, but I'm having a great year. Thanks to support from people like you, Ben. Thank you for chiming in. You wrote on Twitter, started listening to Angry Americans podcast, and I am really enjoying it. So hard to find people who can speak to others with opposing views with such respect. Glad to have a view into veterans' issues in a nonpartisan way. Definitely helping me get through work. Uh, If you're a geologist, I'm fascinated to know what your work actually entails. You could be studying rocks. You could be breaking rocks. um, You could be journeying to the center of the earth. But Ben, really appreciate you out there in Minnesota. Thanks for supporting the show. Next up, Monica M. Cope from Livonia, New York. She tweets at Monica M. Cope. According to her bio, she is a thinker of thinks, a quilter of quilts, and a keeper of bees. I love that. Uh, she tweeted, great episode. I'm in Mr. Bellavia's district. Not sure I'd vote for him, but what an interesting man he is. Also, thanks for the whiskey recommendation. Thank you, Monica. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our interview with David Bellavia. Uh, he is a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, the only living Medal of Honor recipient from Iraq. Uh, he ran for Congress as a Republican of state New York. He's got a radio show, and it was definitely a good conversation, and a lot of folks have given us great feedback on that, so check it out. Hope to have more Medal of Honor recipients on this show in the future. And glad you dig the whiskey, Monica. Uh, more of that to come. Finally, big thanks to Jenna Mack, my friend Jenna Mack. She is from New York, New York. She's a dear friend and been a listener since day one. She says she listens to this pod every Friday on her drive north. So what's up, Jenna? I hope you're driving safely. Jenna is the innovator behind In the Gray. It's an interview series that explores the unexpected sides of people and topics that we think we know. So moving beyond a black and white perspective, the show looks at life's complexities, what truly defines us, and ultimately what connects us. Peeling back the layers, that's where we find In the Gray. So thank you to Jenna. Check out her website, inthegray.com, and you can see more of that great content and more of her work. But thank you, Jenna. Thank you to our old friends like Jenna. Thank you to our newcomers like Heather and Ben and Monica and all the others. 
since it is still Veterans Month all month long, I want to remind you that we do focus on veterans and national security issues, not just on Veterans Day, but every day. So go back and hear the interviews with veterans and veteran supporters like Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Wes Moore, Jim Laporta, Amy McGrath, Willie Geis, Bob Woodruff, Dave Bellavia, and so many others. It's at angryamericans.us or anywhere you get your podcasts. We also talk about much more than veteran stuff. We talk news, culture, sports, music, parenthood, whiskey. It's all in there. Uh, so check them out and keep the feedback coming and always use the hashtag angry Americans and sound off. And as always, thanks to my family, my wife and my two awesome boys, my little lion and my baby bear. My wife's birthday was awesome. It was also so fun and amazing just to celebrate her. She runs her own business and she's been killing it. We always say we have four under four. We have two kids under four and two businesses under four, which has been an ass kicker, but I'm proud of her and I'm inspired by her every day. And on her birthday, we had her favorite Carvel ice cream cake. So I want to take this chance to thank Carvel for over 40 years of supporting me and my family. Big shout out to Carvel. If you don't know, Carvel is the home of the flying saucer, the Carvel log, Fudgy the whale, and Cookie Puss. Now, Carvel is a huge piece of my childhood and my wife's, and maybe for many of you too, but it's also got a great American story. If you don't know, Carvel was founded by Greek-born American Tom Carvel in 1929. He purchased and operated an ice cream truck. And in 1929, Tom Carvel borrowed $15 from his future wife, Agnes, and used it to buy and operate his first ice cream truck. Now, over Memorial Day weekend in 1934, Carvel's truck got a flat tire in Hartsdale, New York. Mr. Carvel sold his stock of partially melted ice cream and discovered the marketing potential of soft ice cream. Then, Tom Carvel began making and selling soft-serve ice cream, and he developed all the novelty ice cream items. And during World War II, he ran the ice cream stands at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and he started experimenting with various ice cream vehicle options for most of his early history. Now, his vehicle concepts included a scooter back in 1957, which I will not hold against him. If you're new to this show, go back and check out. Scooters suck. But he had a scooter, and he had a custom truck called the Car Vehicle, from which they applied several patents. And by 1949, Carvel began franchising the brand with 50 stores by the early 30s. By 1985, the franchise had 865 stores. In 1983, Saturday Night Live actually parodied Carvel's ad campaigns with Joe Piscopo playing Tom Carvel, who was increasingly troubled by the franchise lines of X-rated Christmas cakes. They didn't really have X-rated Christmas cakes, but they did a skit about that. In the same year, 1983, the Beastie Boys released their first single, Cookie Puss, which included audio of the band making prank phone calls to an actual Carvel store. May I help you? Yes, what's your name? Hello? Hello, man. You got Cookie Puss's number? Here's my supervisor. He'll help you. <laughs> Yo, man, where's the supervisor at? I, I, I got the number anyway, baby. Bitch, hang up on me. Now, one year before his death in 1989, Tom Carvel sold the brand and the corporation for $80 million. And as of 2018, there are 371 Carvel franchises worldwide. So my thanks to my family and 
to Carvel. If you ever come to my house for a birthday party, good chance you're going to get some Carvel ice cream cake. They're not a sponsor of the show, but if they're interested, hit me up. I love that soft serve, man. And finally, as always, my deepest thanks to you, my dear listener, for enduring the pain of finding this podcast and for tuning in. Please tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. A lot of you have been doing that. It only takes a minute. We don't charge anything for this show, so just leave us a quick review and share it with a couple of friends. That's all we ask. And if you subscribe now, you'll have it hot and fresh waiting for you on Thursday morning, the opposite of soft serve. It'll be in your inbox. It'll be on your phone. It'll be on your car at zero dark 30, just in time for your Thursday commute to work. If it's late, my bad, but hang in there. We'll try our best to get it up early. And yes, we will have a Thanksgiving episode next week. Mark Gonzalez, he asked me, will there be an angry episode on Thanksgiving? He was asking for a friend. Well, tell your friend Mark Gonzalez, yes, that there will be a show next week. We will not be taking the holidays off. We're going to bring you something to be thankful for. And Wednesday nights, check out our social media for a hint of who our next guest is. If you guess the guest, you will win some very cool Angry American stuff like First Sergeant Perry Jeffries from Texas did last week. He won some good stuff. So be like the First Sergeant and you will win. And keep all that great feedback coming on social media uh, and on our website, angryamericans.us. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. Next week, we'll be back with a fresh new show, fresh like some Carvel ice cream, and some really good ones coming. As shit gets real in America, we're going to keep bringing the awesome guests and the four eyes. Until then, stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. And of course, remember, it's okay to be angry, and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. Even when there's pain or T-pain, we'll be there to take you through it, to bring you together, to get you your four eyes, and to buy you a drink. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you again for Thanksgiving week. Until then, stay vigilant, America.